The SGGQA podcast is brought to you in part by One More. Treat your ears. One More's mission is to bring innovation, design, and quality to all music lovers, young or old, frugal or spendy. Offering an incredible collection of earbuds at all tiers of the market, cabled or Bluetooth, neckband or true wireless. Fantastic sound quality, top-tier tuning, excellent noise reduction. I've personally been a fan for a couple years now. Right now, my headphone of choice is the Dual Driver ANC Pro neckband. Great battery life, punchy dynamic sound, and crazy good noise reduction in a very convenient just-drop-your-earbud neckband design. Or you can get those same features and completely cut the cords with the Dual Driver ANC True Wireless. One of the absolute best options in the completely cable-free space. Or maybe you want to fill a decently large room with a pair of one more portable Bluetooth speakers. There's a whole collection of great audio options for you to shop at affordable prices. And for listeners of this podcast, I can also do you one better. If you shop at onemore.com, use promo code SOMEGADGETGUY10 at checkout. Once again... Some gadget guy one zero with no spaces. You'll save an additional ten percent over their already competitive prices. You'd spend over eighty dollars less on One More's dual driver ANC True Wireless compared to that other brand's Pro earbuds. You know who I'm talking about. One More brings style, premium audio quality, and cool tech features to the table at prices that won't hurt the wallet. You can check out these multiple award-winning audio solutions at onemore.com and remember to use promo code SOMEGADGETGUY10 at checkout to save some scratch. Now, let's get on with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, tech fans of all shapes and sorts and sizes and persuasions, welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show on the SGGQA podcast channel. I'm Juan Carlos Bagnell, a.k.a. Some Gadget Guy, the SGG of this terribly named podcast. But the QA is the important part because, boy, howdy, do we have a lot of news to chew through in this uh, in this week's show. And uh, I also have a bunch of phones over here on my desk. And a couple of them I can talk about. <laughs> the wraps got taken off of another phone that kind of kind of quietly snuck in to February being one of the busiest months of tech reviewing I've had in my career. <laughs> we went from Techtober all the way through the holidays. I got a little time off around CES and we're right back into it. So many phones. So we've got a lot to, to dig into. I want to throw a huge shout out because I'm already seeing some uh, some incredible folks in the chat. Uh, Al Sabakli, who's seen the Tech Boy, Grounded Tech, uh, True Pal Tracks, watching from my desktop for a change. The app is a bit janky. You know, sometimes you just got to fire up a web browser, man. We got Barry Johnson, Simon says Hypno, ER1980, Ron Guido, Ownscon, Steve. Uh, Bray Gray is popping in. He's got a Zoom call, so he's got me on mute, and that's totally fine. That's probably the best way to listen to me, is on mute. <laughs> Flowtech Wolf with the very first time chat saying hi to me and hi to the rest of the folks in here. And I want to throw a special shout out of glory. Uh, one Mr. Paul Purry, while we were in our intro, subscribed to Tier 1. 
Uh, they've been he's been subscribed for 26 26 months on a 26 month streak. Thank you so much, Paul, for supporting production on the channel. JMX Warrior, Kappa Cash, and Ted, welcome to the show. Jman150 just saying hell or he or something. <laughs> I don't know what Jman <laughs> Jman is trying to say. I think he was going for hello, and then oh, he was going for hey. He was going for. <laughs> So it looked like hell, but that, that was exclamation points. And that's okay. Typing too quick. I totally get it. I get excited too. So um, uh, everyone, welcome to the chat. Like I said, tons of news. I do want to just do a little catch up here real quick. I hope everybody had a lovely weekend that you got to do some fun things that you were hanging out with some family and friends. I know major holidays, the first of February, but just any excuse that you can to, you know, hang out and eat food with good people that care about you. Um, I have a funny little anecdote to share in that uh, for the last week, we have not been able to find our Chromecast remote. Uh, this is huge breaking news. Uh, tech guy loses remote, did not have like a Bluetooth tracker stuck to it. Um, I know, I know, I know. This is very shocking. Uh, this is a shocking development in the world of technology. But we were going through all of the kind of workarounds. Our, our, our remote kind of controlled our little, our cheap little soundbar. I don't have a great soundbar on our main TV right now. That's also another thing that we're looking at upgrading. But, you know, what with all our time these days. And so I, I got to a breaking point. We tore the house apart. When you go into the Chromecast settings, you can see the remote is still connected. So we knew it was still in the living room, but having a seven-year-old daughter who kind of explodes the, the living room with art projects and with Legos, we couldn't find it. Just couldn't, like, we, we, we tore the couch apart, we moved furniture, we looked behind cubbies and bookshelves, checked bathrooms in case someone just sort of absentmindedly walked off with it, couldn't find it. It, it was gone. So we got to a breaking point where our, our makeshift, you know, sort of ability to control the, the Chromecast on our main TV just wasn't working out. Hilariously, the main phone responsible for keeping up with our Chromecast was the Poco X5 because it has an IR blaster that we could use to do things like control volume and control the TV. And you can kind of control your Chromecast stuff through the phone. So we'll, we'll talk about that phone in greater detail later on in the podcast, but I was shooting too much on the Vivo to use that IR blaster. <laughs> this is ridiculous. So Marie and I cave and we go, hey, you know what? This is getting silly. We should just order a replacement. So we go online to the google.com and uh, we look at like, what does it cost to get a replacement Chromecast remote? And it's like 20 bucks. And you're like, okay, that's not great. A, a 4k Chromecast is $40. And apparently half the price of your 4K Chromecast is getting a remote. Okay, sure. So on a whim, I also just kind of search out like, well, what about, you know what? What about that new Chromecast HD? We don't need the 4K Chromecast. We don't need another Chromecast. The Chromecast is working great. We just need another remote. I'm positive that the HD Chromecast has to be using the same remote. There's no way that Google would use a different remote just for the HD version of a Chromecast. So I look it up and that's also 20 bucks. So if you wanna buy the remote by itself, it's 20 bucks. 
If you want to buy an HD Chromecast with the remote, it's 20 bucks. So Marie was running some errands and she was walking through Target and she went to their tech. Um, and, and, and I love my wife because, you know, she wouldn't consider herself to be super techie, but she was like, yeah, Juan was saying like this thing could be on sale. Oh, it's 20 bucks. He said that was the price of the remote. Let me just grab it. And so we have an HD Chromecast. Simple setup, plug, connect, and stream. I pulled the remote out of the box. I pair it up with the 4K Chromecast. It works great. So now I've got an HD Chromecast. I have a second generation Chromecast on my busted office TV. You know what? I can use this. I almost, I very rarely really sit and watch in the office. It's like I don't game in the office. I also don't really watch TV in the office, but it's nice to have for a couple of my videos and setups. I can do like a different backdrop. Great. I can control an HD Chromecast to my HD TV. It's not even a 4K TV. That's awesome. That's great. So we get that all set up yesterday afternoon. I'm on a video call with my mom and Lex is showing her some ballet and stuff. And we had a keyboard out because we were going to try and do some Tetris. You know, my mom plays Tetris. I play Tetris. We were going to try and play some Tetris together. I've got my Nook keyboard. <laughs> this is so silly. Um, and I move the keyboard and uh, uh, it's on Lex has like a little art desk, you know, one of those little lap desks. So we pick up the lap desk and I move around. You're like, oh, you know what? I need to turn off the TV. And I reach down to her lap desk. And I pick up the Chromecast remote and I turn off the TV and I set the remote down. And then I look to the side on the couch and there's the new Chromecast remote. And I'm holding the old Chromecast remote in my hand. I had not paired that new remote, but maybe an hour before. And I cannot tell you where the old remote had been but it was just out in the open <laughs> on, on a little art desk that Lex had. Like, I picked it up without thinking about it. Just like, oh, yeah, let me just pick up this remote. Let me turn off the TV. Okay, cool. And then see that I'm holding the old remote that has, like, you know, food stains and stuff all over it. And there's the new remote over on the table. So that's how I upgraded my office TV to a brand new <laughs> Chromecast HD with a remote because we found the old one. Uh, literally an hour after we had the new one set up. So that's, uh, that's how good we are at tech in this household. So now Marie and I are like, do we want to get like a, like an air tag or a tracker or a tile or something? <laughs> it's something. The most frustrating part is if there were a little speaker on the remote, you could tell the Chromecast to find my remote. The battery power was, was we had just put new batteries in there. It was like everything was paired. We knew it was still in the house, but we could not find it until I bought the new one. Literally an hour after setting up the new one, that's when we found the old one. It's, it's like a Murphy's Law of the Universe type of setup. So, um, pretty great. <laughs> Al, I, I wish I were this devious. Al's writing... Uh, did you actually just hide it until you convinced the family to get a new toy? You know what? I might I might actually even consider just packing it up and getting our 20 bucks back. I, at this point, I don't know. Like, I haven't even taken the actual Chromecast out of this box. Like, it's still all in the big cardboard packaging. I, you know, it's 20 bucks. 20 bucks is 20 bucks in this economy Maybe we should just roll it back to Target. I just feel bad because we did open it. And even with like a restocking fee, like, yeah, you know, it'd still be like 15 bucks, 20 bucks, something like, I don't know. 
uh, it's it. I, well, we'll have to think about it. Chromecast Gen 2 has been doing me just fine, except for the highest quality 4K Blu-ray MKV rips that I've got. Like, I've got a couple movies on my shelf back there. And those can kind of... The, the the Gen 2 Chromecast can kind of choke on those. So I might just keep it for the ease of just keeping it. So we'll see. So that was our fun weekend adventure. Steve, this is why I don't like giving my TV's remote to my sister. She always loses remotes and I already lost and I already lost one lost one to her. Um yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I was I was a big fan of the original Chromecast mission. I I really believed like, oh, you know what? We could just go through our phone. And then when someone comes over to visit or or you know, cuz it was we got Gen 2 shortly after Lex was born. And uh, we did have like a date night where a cousin came over and babysat. And it was great. It was actually really cool because we would say like, okay, well, you know, this is how you can, can kind of control this. We're going to set the TV volume at this site. And then you control the volume of the Chromecast through your phone. And then you just push this little button, anything you want to watch. You just throw it up on the TV. I really thought that was going to be the future and then unfortunately, like, that was kind of a bridge too far for a lot of consumers, and we had to go back to remotes. And I, at this point, we, we really need to kind of consolidate TV and sound equipment and consoles and Chromecasts and all this stuff and kind of smush it all back into one, something that can be handled by one main universal remote. Because um, it is getting kind of silly having all these different parts and pieces my life as a tech reviewer is absurd. <laughs> uh, oh, Marilyn's popping in to say, hey, hey, Marilyn, what's up? Marilyn, do you have your order in on an S23, S23 Ultra? Are, are you going to pull the trigger on that? The, the chat is dying to know. Let us know. Um, and Reaper, Bre oh, whoops, nope, nope, there we go. And uh, Reaper Black, do you know when the X90 Pro is coming to the UK? I do not. I would imagine the further west you go from the main markets in China and India, the longer it's going to take. I think that's going to be something we see pretty clearly on a number of these import phones. And, and not, that's not an import phone. The distribution on phones, Vivo's main focus is China and India and straying from those markets they're not going to sell they're not going to send phones to those markets until they've basically matched the demand in their on their home turf. Sony is kind of like the poster child of this strategy and it kind of helps them stay profitable. Um they fulfill demand in China first, then Japan, and once those sales have been met, they expand out to the EU and then once those uh pre-orders have been met, then they expand to the United States. So um, I would imagine in the grand timeline of Vivo distribution, you will get the X90 Pro in a much shorter window than we'll get the next Xperia. <laughs> That's the best that I can offer you. I'm so sorry. I have no better information on that. <laughs> um, oh, Marilyn, my dogs love eating remotes. Oh, oh and you did. Excellent. Okay, Marilyn is on the pulse. She's already ordered her S23 Ultra 
in cream. Uh, excellent. At some point, you're going to have to pop in the chat and share some thoughts. I know the, the early like embargo testing has been pretty positive. Um, so the Ultra definitely looks, again, like, uh, like the beast phone to get if, if you're a Samsung fan. So Flowtech Wolf. I do want to touch on this because I'm kind of not leaning into it too much on uh, sort of my own like personal news stories and news blocks. I feel like this is a very dicey issue. Flowtech Wolf, hey Juan, quick non-tech related question. Are you going to play Hogwarts Legacy? I am not sure because I don't want my money to go to J.K. Rowling. Um, so my wife and I are very left-leaning, bleeding heart liberals. Um, we went in hard on Harry Potter when the series was kind of fresh in print. We had cousins and nieces and nephews and we have the entire collection of books. Um, I have all the Blu-rays uh, of the films. And uh, I have the Lego Hogwarts, the Lego Harry Potter games. Increasingly, as I get older, I personally have a harder and harder time separating the art from the artist. I don't watch movies from people who I feel have have done bad things. I... I've started kind of cutting music from my playlists from artists that I I feel have demonstrated poor judgments and poor behavior. And it's it's tricky because I find that there's this great juvenile reading literacy accessibility. Uh, Lex has read w with us and reading passages on our own. We've read through the first three Harry Potter books. We are working towards not giving J.K. Rowling any money if we can help it. Um, since buying the books when they originally were released, uh, the only money we've spent on Harry Potter has been one Harry Potter cloak as a Halloween costume for Lex. And that's been it. Uh, we got the cloak, but we kind of did everything else DIY for her Harry Potter costume. And she she dressed as Harry Potter. She dressed as Harry. Like, we even did the lightning bolt on her forehead. I think this is a really deeply tricky and personal, um, uh, personal question that needs to be answered on a person-by-person -person basis. Is... Where do you feel the support of an artist's work starts to run afoul of your own personal values? And the way that J.K. Rowling has conducted herself publicly, I don't feel um, I don't feel like I should be supporting that lifestyle anymore. That's our decision. That's what we're doing in this family. And I hope that other people kind of come to their own unique conclusions based on what they're comfortable with. That's really about as far as I can take that conversation. I'm not one to turn that kind of a social issue into a major campaign point on my channel. I don't feel qualified to speak for other people in regards to art and commerce. Um, when I do feel qualified to speak on issues, you hear me and I won't shut up. If it's right to repair and net neutrality, then yeah, I'm going to speak for disadvantaged communities, but I, I don't feel... I can properly join a conversation about J.K. Rowling's political positions and how that might affect other people. I just feel uncomfortable and I get upset when I see what she posts. So that's enough for me to say, maybe I don't need to give her any more money. So that's where we're at. And I don't really want to turn the rest of the chat into kind of a debate on 
entertainment versus political opinions. Uh, you know, there have been a number of artists in my life that I feel have really let me down. And especially from artists that have created media that seems to run directly counter to the political positions that they hold, you know, love and acceptance and, and ingenuity and problem solving and equality. And then in their personal lives, they turn around and they, they spew some pretty nauseous, vile uh, commentary. So uh, we can wrap that one up because we really do have a ton of news to get to. <laughs> and I haven't even gotten to housekeeping yet. I'm so bad about getting sidetracked. Hooray. <laughs> oh, JMan150. Yeah, saw the cream color Galaxy on Twitter and it looks a lot like the old iPhone gold. Rem reminds me of that iPhone gold with just little hints of the, um, I mean, not exactly like this, but little hints of that almond OnePlus 7. So again, uh, Samsung cribbing the camera design of the velvet with some of those OnePlus colors. That's pretty tasty. I, I, I can't say I hate it. <laughs> it's not the color I would sport, but that is a really good looking phone. I always go for deep blue. If more phones were, were uh, delivered in like a deep blue color, that would make Juan very, 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 very happy. <laughs> do, do, do. Okay, so um, we are going to jump into a little housekeeping here. Last week was a little lighter because I have been hopping on these embargo devices. So there's going to be a bit more content coming to the channel over the course of this week. Um, but I do want to show here, let me uh, click this over here. One of the major videos that I got out, the Vivo X90 Pro is here. First look at the next stage of smartphone photography. Uh, these new one inch sensors are rocking my socks. This is one of the most tangible optical improvements um, to smartphone photography that I've ever seen. And I am crazy excited that we're probably going to be seeing a few more phones coming out with this kind of camera hardware over the course of the year. I'm very, very anxious to see if any of this tech will eventually make its way to the United States. Right now, we're in sort of an, uh, in a holding pattern on this 1 over 1.3 inch sensor. Apple is at that tier. Samsung is at, this, is at that tier. Uh, Google is at that tier, and I'm waiting to see if anyone will bring a one-inch sensor. So far, it seems the only company that can will be Sony, and that's if we get, like, another very premium Xperia. But in the meantime, those of us who are reviewing ga uh, gadgets internationally, we have phones like this X90 Pro to play with, and then oh, I've got to reach. It's over here on the other side of my table. Um, I've absolutely been adoring the photography from the Xiaomi 12S Ultra. So we'll have to see. Um, I think this is going to be a really rough year for distribution. That's an entirely too long preamble to talk about what Vivo is doing well. My early impressions, the phone definitely needs some software updates. Um, it definitely needs a little bit of polish. But boy, howdy, is this such a great start for a pretty um, aggressive kind of smartphone package. There's a lot of tweaks and a lot of new on this phone, and it doesn't feel hamstrung by some of these smaller minor issues that, I, that I, I'm pretty confident will get addressed uh, in a future update. To go along with that, this was also an exciting phone to talk about because it's my first 
Um, it, it's my first phone with a top of the line Dimensity. So this is the Dimensity 9200, that's the SOC, that's in the Vivo X90 Pro. And if you're on the Patreon, I have already started listing some of my uh, performance uh, testing. So I've got a little, uh, I've got a post here comparing the X90 Pro against the iQ11, the Pixel 7 Pro, the iQ9 T, the OnePlus 10 Pro, and the iQ9 Pro. So we've got eight Gen 1s, an eight plus Gen 1, a Tensor 2, a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, and a Dimensity 9200 as we go through all of my tests with um, podcast mixing, uh, video editing, RAR compression, and batch photo processing. The TLDR of this post is, man, we're in a really exciting little window of performance. This year, we're catching up to a much better performance per watt than where we were over the last two years. And I think that's going to be really exciting for enthusiasts. Um, but the Patreon post goes into more detail, like some phones are better for video editing, some phones are better for audio mixing, some phones are better for photography and photo editing, not just taking the photo. So there's a lot going on this year. And again, it's that thing where the second you show me an Antutu score, it absolutely does not guide you in any way based on what you're going to do on your phone. That these chips are now hitting 1.2 million points on Antutu doesn't tell you if one of these phones really crushes 4K video. And I had one shocking, surprising result in trying to cut higher quality 4K video um, from all of these different devices. I'll, I'll leave it up to the chat. Which phone, when I'm talking about the absolute highest bitrate rendering for a video, which phone do you think won my new uh, smartphone video rendering benchmark? Drop a comment in the chat. <laughs> That's such such a tease. All right. Um, <laughs> and then the the next, oh, I didn't even, I, I haven't even published on somegadgetguy.com. It just went up on YouTube. So I'm going to, I'm going to do this here real quick. Uh, I did get the video out. The embargo lifted at 4 a.m. Uh, California time. And YouTube is not loading the video up. Come on, come on, YouTube. There we go. So the, one of the main phones we're going to be talking about this week's episode, if you've got any questions or I'm just really excited to see a new sort of lower tier mid-ranger is uh, this, the Poco X5 5G that went live four hours ago. Um, I'm tired. <laughs> we did a, a late uh, embargo um, last week. TK and I up, were up like crazy trying to get the X90 videos out. And then the Poco X5 uh, was also another early morning embargo for Americans. So that was, that was pretty tough. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you can hear it in my voice. Hold on, I'm going to get another drink of coffee. Oh man, Gormlord, you ruined it. <sighs> See, I, I, I put up this tease like, oh, which phone do you think totally won my new video rendering test? And Gormlord's like, the iPhone. And you're like, man, come on, give me a spoiler tag or something. Everyone knows that you can't do anything better. No one does things with features. So iPhones just works and stuff. Though I would like to point out that if you're just kind of cutting 4K video on the go, that in LumaFusion, 
you're you're better off with a Pixel than you are an iPhone 14. So anyway, um, we do have a lot to to jump into. Uh, I I feel that this isn't a tech story. This is just a human interest story. And it's one of the things that I would absolutely love with the people that we have here in this chat, because again, my audience tends to be thoughtful and very considerate. Uh, Marie and I woke up this morning to news about just a monstrous earthquake in Turkey. And at present, we're we're talking about an event between an earthquake and an aftershock that have claimed over 2,100 lives at the current count. And that number will probably go higher, especially as uh, relief workers are able to get in there and start helping. Um, I mean, obviously, I've, I've got a link up here from the New York Times. Um, but as Marie and I live in earthquake country here in the United States, there's always that gremlin of fear or anxiety in the back of your brain. We just recently had a 4.0 that struck off, um, off the coast and rumbled us pretty good, even though we're through, we're past the Canyon. Um, my heart goes out to those people that are affected by this, the, the infrastructure, the, the, the buildings, the people, all of the things that are completely unreplaced that, that are completely not replaceable. Um, it's these types of events that, that kind of shock and, and we should still feel the impact of what happens when we see something like this, uh, occur. I never want us to feel helpless in a 21st century economy in a 21st century world where we have this incredible technology at our fingertips there are still some of these things like in every area of the world you want to remember that there's something uh if it's hurricanes or tornadoes if it's floods or tsunamis if it's earthquakes or wildfires and I'm not saying we use tragedies like these to remind ourselves of the good. No, what I mean is we want to make sure that we're able to take care of ourselves. We're able to take care of others. And in this chat right now, I would be very grateful if folks would maybe leave some recommendations for where others can help support charitable uh, donations, initiatives, uh, organizations that can help get aid. I, I mean, sure, we could talk about things like food drives and stuff like that, too. But this is one of those global community events. And I always know people are are able to rise to the occasion and are able to help. So if you have the means, um, please consider donating what money you can to organizations that will be able to get resources into this area. If you don't have the financial means to directly contribute, Please use your social media, please use your voice to share links to those organizations that will be able to get in and help. Um, I usually reserve this like, hey, make the effort to like supporting content creators. And I feel this is an event that kind of supersedes whether or not I get more views on YouTube. So um, I'll, I'll use the beginning of this podcast to try and help in what way I can. Marie and I are looking at our budget and we're trying to look at what charities and what organizations are going to do the best job of delivering to this area. And then from there, we'll, I'll probably share some links on Twitter and Mastodon. So 
if you can, please help in any way that you can. Um, I, I don't feel the event needs more awareness, but I think people see these, these tragic events and then they just feel upset. And I always feel better when I can do anything, <laughs> even if it's something as, as meager as kicking a hundred bucks to a charity or to uh, a medical community or to an organization or logistics or something. Something feels better than nothing. So um, I, I hope everyone in, in this chat, I hope your friends and family are safe. If you have any family internationally or if you knew anyone in this area, I, I hope you've been able to reach out and see and check in and make sure everyone's okay. And uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that with the final plea. If there's any amount of effort that you can make to try to help, this is a good time to help. So um, let me uh, kind of just scroll through the chat on all this. Do, do, do. Uh, oh, Al. Yeah, I mean, that, that one's top of our list right now. Red Cross already sent out an email with special account to deposit to. Red Cross is definitely an option for sure. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. So um, why don't we... Uh, oh, and Anderspand um, subscribed with Prime. Thank you. Thank you very much for supporting the production on this podcast. Again, I you know we just got done with the impassioned plea to um, help people in this area. Uh, but I'm, the support for this podcast <laughs> is also greatly appreciated. Um, okay, so why don't we jump into some news? I've got a couple stories here, and I really want to chew through them quick. Hold on, one, two, three. We've got three major um, tech stories. Uh, and, and, oh, no. One of the tech sites just blocked me from the article. <laughs> Hold on, let me see if I can get back. And, okay. I think I can screen share the article now, but they've got that stupid manage cookies. Man, I really hate this because I've clicked on this on, on the Financial Times several times in the past, but it keeps like, oh, well, welcome back to the Financial Times. Would you like to give us all your cookies? And then it just stays in the window. Um, yes, we have been uh, on the podcast kind of tracking some of the news. Recently, there have been a number of tech layoffs um, significant tech layoffs across a number of companies and organizations. I have been very left-leaning in my assessment of these, where I'm not impressed by a CEO who made moves to ensure higher stock prices so that they could get bigger bonuses coming out now in 2023 saying, I... I hold full responsibility for our business moves over the last two years. And in my full responsibility, we're, we're cutting 10,000 jobs. But I feel really personally responsible for all of these people losing their jobs. But it's on me, but they face the economic hardship of losing their jobs. But, but me... I bear full responsibility, but they're, they're the ones that actually have to suffer my responsibility for my business decisions as the CEO. And this is going back a couple of years where we've heard about like Google, like really concerned about the projects that are happening and the, the, the responses. And you're like, well, yeah, but 
your leadership is the one that's responsible for the, the actual employees can't be more productive for the company if the leadership isn't getting the job done. And we also recently talked about Microsoft, literally the day before they announced thousands of layoffs, the executives treated themselves to a private concert with Sting, you know, Sting and the police. I wonder if he sang message in a bottle, but I feel like that's bad optics. So it, it gets even a little bit more frustrating when we see articles like this. This is Financial Times written up by Dave Lee. Big tech groups disclose 10 billion in charges from job calls and cost cutting. Uh, from the article, Amazon, Meta, Alphabet, and Microsoft will collectively incur more than 10 billion in charges related to mass redundancies, real estate, and other cost-saving measures as the big tech companies reveal the hefty price they incur to rein in spending. To spend less money, they're going to rack up 10 billion <laughs> in, in costs. But the optics of spending less on personnel which helps them spend a little bit less on their real estate and their, their power and their IT and all these other trickle-down things when they cut a bunch of jobs, boost the stock price, which has nothing to do with the company's performance at this point. It is just the feeling stock uh, traders have, speculators have, on the health of the company. People are randomly guessing, and that makes shareholders a lot more money for a, or it, it provides shareholders a lot more value for a short period of time, but real people have to lose their jobs in this economy to make speculators feel better about a stock so that shareholders can have more value on the stocks that they hold. So it's all just a ridiculous game with real people's lives in the mix. I would highly recommend going through this article because it's it's a little demoralizing when you kind of just see it in print how directly connected these kinds of moves are and and how it doesn't really seem to make the company function better. In the long term, you still lose some of the talent and some of the the personnel, the 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 ability to get work done. And then later, you still have to kind of reassess what jobs and what projects the company wants to focus on and then bring people back in to handle that. But if, if you let go of actual engineers, not, not just like HR and recruiters and, 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 you know, like all of that stuff, but it's really difficult to replace those people. So with thousands of people getting laid off from these companies, I really hope that we see some kind of collective like Maybe some some talented people who were a little lower on the totem pole and got the got the got the chop come together and maybe create some new disruptive technology that isn't built just to get sold to Google or Facebook or something like that. <laughs> DTNL. Yeah, man. Imagine using your feelings to decide how much something costs. That's our stock market in a nutshell these days. Um so and Gormlord, this this was true, wasn't it? The head of Nintendo that took a huge pay cut when they weren't doing well. Uh, respect for that, and we're seeing that too. I think um, who was it? Tim Cook announced that he was taking a major pay cut, but again, 
when you just say like, yeah, I'm going to cut my salary. Okay. Well, that's respectable. I, I, I appreciate that. But isn't more of your compensation based on things like your stock holdings, <laughs> you know, like they give you interest in the company. Um, that that's that's really kind of what like some of the main composite compensation package really is. This stuff gets really messy when we talk about. Well, yeah, I I took a pay cut, and you're like, yeah, but didn't you also get like a massive bonus? Oh, but that's different. <laughs> that's because I did my job so well <laughs> for shareholders. Sure. So it's just really disappointing. But the the article on uh on the Financial Times when you get around their cookie pop up. When you get around that, the the article does a really good job of kind of breaking down some of these moves. It's just shocking to me. We are going to incur billions of dollars in costs to eventually save more money on personnel, and that looks good, so now our stock is more valuable. I guess. It's great. Hey folks, are you getting bored of the current collection of tech and geek commentary on the internet? Is the discussion of new electronics feeling a bit stale? Do you want to find some fresh voices to add to your subscription queue? Check out the community on r glowing rectangles on Reddit. Now, this subreddit was built to help new voices in the tech community find more audience, and we need your support. Sharing, commenting, and those precious, tasty upvotes. Reddit can radically help a content creator expand their reach. Do you know a producer who deserves more attention? Do you just want to find fun new stuff? Head on over to reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles and share or browse to your heart's content. Once again, reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles and let's build something cool together. Um, I also, we need to do, uh, I haven't done like a heavy political, like regula- uh, regulatory agency um, news news article in a while. And this was another one that just kind of bristled, that kind of ruffled the feathers a little. Coming by way of Ars Technica, of course, John Brodkin. I, I, uh, I, I kind of have a man crush on John Brodkin. ISP admits lying to FCC about size of network to block funding to rivals. An ISP gave false, an ISP gave false FCC, let me try that one more time. An ISP gave the FCC false coverage information to prevent other companies from getting grants. (sighs) Ryan Graywell, who runs a small wireless internet service provider in Ohio last month. uh, All right, man, reading is hard. Let's try that one more time. Jesus. Ryan Graywell, who runs a small wireless internet service provider in Ohio, last month received an email that confirmed some of his worst suspicions about cable companies. Graywell, founder and general manager of Smartway Communications, had heard from some of his customers that the Federal Communications Commission's new broadband map falsely claimed fiber internet service was available at their homes from another company called Jefferson County Cable. Those customer reports spurred Graywell to submit a number of challenges to the FCC in an attempt to correct errors in SmartWay service area. One of Graywell's challenges elicited a response from Jefferson County Cable Executive Bob Loveridge, who apparently thought Graywell was a resident at the challenge address rather than a competitor. Quote, You challenged that we do not have service at your residence, and indeed, we don't today. With our huge investment in upgrading our service to provide XGPON, we reported to the BDC, the Broadband Data Collection, 
that we have service at your residence so that they would not allocate addition broadband expansion money over top of our private investment in our plant. So not only is Jefferson County Cable like they're 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 emboldened to say the quiet parts out loud. Assuming this dude was a customer, they legit sent him an email saying, "Oh yeah, we lied just to block our competitors and we still don't offer the service that we claimed you could get." When you're an entrenched local monopoly on a specific flavor of a service like broadband, no one's at a federal level going to say Jefferson County Cable is a monopolistic business entity. But something tells me in their local region, their customers don't have a ton of options. So they're not even concerned about lying well. <laughs> their explanation is, oh, yeah. We lie, and with misspellings, you've got to check out this article because, like, the email has omitted articles and misspelled words. It's it's awesome. Like, one of the executives at the company just decided, yeah, let me just tell them what's up. What are they going to do? They can't leave. <laughs> I just can't believe this is this is how bad. It's 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 all it's all going in in the realm of competition for broadband. We're pretending that we have competition because there are more companies out there. In my own neck of the woods, uh, I, I am not getting sponsored. I am not working with them in any way. I, I have no relationship um, with this business move, and I haven't done any work with Verizon PR since I did a remote schooling story on them during the pandemic for reviews.org. And uh, a friend of mine was doing some work. I don't know if he still is. Um, I'm going to have to reach out to him. Actually, I just haven't talked to him in a while. Uh, was doing PR work for Verizon. That's the, it's almost two years now. It's the last interaction I've had with Verizon. I'm so displeased with the upload speeds that I have on Spectrum a guy came walking around our neighborhood to talk to people in our little uh, association and our little uh, um, condo uh, group. Apparently, fixed wireless broadband is coming to our area from Verizon. They're setting up some 5G towers just to do home broadband. And they're saying that they can get up to a 50 megabit upload, which is still not great. But it's better than what I currently have with Spectrum. We're going to take it for a test drive. I'm going to make a video about it. I'm really anxious about wireless and what that might look like for like the consistency of streams. I'm a big like, hey, if you just connect the cable, you're always going to have a, a better experience. But we're going to give it a shot. That's how little competition we have. Across the street, literally like over the major street, there's fiber. There's fiber right over there. I can see it from my window. And we can't get it here because our little condo blocks are sort of a little bit more spread out and on big hills through the canyon. They won't roll the fiber across the street. And in areas like this, 
Apparently, the cable companies just feel emboldened to tell people we lied to federal agencies and we're still not going to give you the product that we advertised that you have. <sighs> so we'll have to see. I bet you that there's a, a, a slap on the wrist and that like the Jefferson County cable is serving a small enough population of customers that the FCC is like, we find you 10,000 whole dollars. So you've learned your lesson. Now, keep um, lying to us and harming competition and hurting your customers. You, We know you won't do this again. <laughs> I, just, I just can't. It's like, they, they didn't even try. Oh, no, we didn't. We, we, we don't actually have that. Oh, why, why did we tell you we had it? Oh, because, like, we wanted more money. That's why we wanted more money. What are you going to do about it? All right, one more story for the news block here, and one that I'm sure is is uh, kind of in uh, in our wheelhouse here as being phone nerds. It's like at this point, we I got to keep watching it just because it's such a a, a rough um, international uh, tech story. I've long maintained that I felt. Excuse me, sorry. Some coffee burps there. I've I've long maintained that I've felt the reaction to some of the business shenanigans and the uh, the sort of political backing of a company like Huawei. I'm sure that our our country's law enforcement agencies and intelligence gathering agencies have some concerns over things like global um, telecommunications equipment. Like when ZTE had executives sent to jail because they were shipping um, high-end telecommunications equipment to Iran, I understood why there was a global reaction to that with ZTE breaking that um that embargo i still don't believe we've seen great data to suggest that huawei's consumer electronics face the same kind of global scrutiny as their telecommunications and infrastructure business and i wish that there were a better way to legally separate those as different entities because I was a big fan of Huawei products. Like I really liked Huawei phones and Huawei. I still have a little, it's at, holy cow. It's right down here. Um, I have a little Huawei laptop. I mean, this is still going strong. I think it's like eighth gen core I five, you know, like the gear was good. And, and it makes me sad because we still see, you know, some of the innovation and some of the new tech that's coming out of the Huawei Mate and Huawei P series. So this was this was a big uh, a big push on Reuters uh, end of January. U.S. stops granting export licenses for China's Huawei. Uh, the Biden administration has stopped approving licenses for U.S. companies to export most items to China's Huawei, according to three people familiar with the matter. Um, I want to get down to. Uh, uh, there we go. One person familiar with the matter said U.S. officials are creating a new formal policy of denial. 
for shipping items to Huawei that would include items below the 5G level, including 4G items, Wi-Fi 6 and 7, artificial intelligence, and high-performance computing and cloud items. So they're really, really cutting Huawei off at the knees because the previous ban was sort of on moving forward was on 5G technologies. That's why so many Huawei phones were, were combined with these LTE modems. They, they lacked certain features of these new high-end chipsets. And increasingly, we just kind of saw like Huawei kept plugging along, even with those limitations, and that the phones were still garnering some positive reactions, some positive responses. I got to play with one of the new ones. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting Basil. Um, dang it. Now I have to go to Twitter. Basil, what is Basil's last name? Oh my gosh, he's like such a charming bloke. And I've just, uh, Basil Crumfley, um, a journalist. He's, he's written on a number of publications, but we were hanging out um, after the MediaTek event and he had a Huawei. And I was like, I really want to see that variable aperture. And he was like, here, go ahead and play with this phone. And we were on the same flight. Uh, yeah, we were on the same flight um, from, from uh, San Francisco to Los Angeles. And I just, this phone is rad. I wish I had some of this tech in a phone that was properly connected in the United States. So uh, apparently we're taking that a step further. Um, the previous actions on 5G tech and newer tech and, and some of this stuff wasn't punitive enough. And now they're really trying to cut Huawei down on some of the more established um, uh, next generation Wi-Fi 6 and 7. Going back, 4G and Wi-Fi 6 is is kind of a, a poison pill to really try and cut their uh, cut cut their business down. Oh, JMN with fifty, yeah, exactly. Uh, I remember earlier today saying that Qualcomm can can still somehow make chips for Huawei. And you're like, what? Um, JMN with fifty. I still have my P twenty Pro. It was amazing, even though it's been in a drawer for quite a while now. Um, Marilyn, I still have my Huawei Mate. I still have my Huawei Mate 21. The Mate 20? I don't know what, what was the Mate 21? I'm sorry, my brain is Swiss cheese right now. Um, <laughs> Coppa Cash. Uh, we found out that Facebook was selling user data through the Cambridge Analytical Saga, but all Congress did was give them a slap on the wrist. But Huawei is bad. China, bad. Um, so first of all, I do believe that there should have been a business and market correction for Huawei. Um, years ago on this podcast, we talked about Diamond Glass Gate. This is, was a crazy story involving a tiny little tech startup, the FBI, international agencies, and uh, like a bunch of national interest on material science, where this tiny little firm had said, hey, we've developed this new synthetic diamond strain of glass. So sort of like a crystal glass. Back when like sapphire was the big deal, um, this new firm was saying like, hey, we, we can make this new material. And uh, at, they were in Vegas and they were talking with Huawei executives in Vegas. And the executive said, hey, we really want to take a closer look at this on with our own like private facility. And this was a material that the United States government was now getting interested in saying like, hey, we have a national interest in what this material might represent. So there were um, very, very scary penalties for samples of this material to leave the country. 
because it could have gone into like security research. And I, I bet you it probably has because I don't see diamond glass on phone screens. But something tells me the United States military is working with materials that we don't get access to. So Huawei executives take a sample of this. They are not allowed to break it. They are not allowed to take pieces off of it. And it's not allowed to leave the country. Apparently, they put it on a plane and they were given 48 hours to, to analyze this material. In those 48 hours, apparently, they put it on a plane, sent it to China, broke it, took a sliver of it, took the broken shards back to the original manufacturing team and said, whoops, we accidentally cracked it. And they, they could determine that there was a sliver of this material missing. And then the FBI had to get involved on arresting <laughs> executives. So I feel when we talk about like corporate shenanigans like Facebook selling our data, I believe Huawei deserved a market correction in how they were doing business and how they were very liberal with using other companies' technologies and IP. I don't believe, and I have seen no evidence to suggest, that internationally sold Huawei consumer products represent a direct threat to user or consumer privacy at least beyond, I mean, to the, to the tone of this comment from Kapakash, um, to the tone, uh, to the level or degree that we see from any social media site, um, even to the degree that we see information harvesting from TikTok, which is a step above what Facebook's leaky business strategy represents. So I, I don't want to play the xenophobia game. I'm not saying China bad, but I feel like there's also a difference between a market correction, sanctions, and fines, you know, or import fees or something for Huawei as a business entity versus the type of heavy-handed punitive action that we've seen. I feel most of this comes from their telecommunications equipment side, where you would not want this type of Chinese installation to really fulfill the backbone and the backhaul of your national interests. I get that. I, I feel like even that might sometimes be a little doom and gloom or a little overstated, um, the, the risk there. But again, you want to over-secure your network, not under-secure your network in a world where cyber attacks are devastating. So yeah, I get that. I don't feel that there's the same level of threat <laughs> for a smartphone as there are for 5G radio antennas. So that's to me where I've always had that difficulty where this is more punitive an action towards consumer-facing products, and I feel that is a different level of security threat or risk than infrastructure products. So it's it's pretty tough. Oh, Maryland had the, the Mate 20X. I gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mate 20X. Okay. Sorry, we, we, we solved the mystery. Um, I still have a Mate 9 and a Mate 10 over on the shelf there because they're stunning phones. They're, they're kind of like museum pieces for me now because we got so close. That Mate 10 Pro was almost on AT&T. It was almost sold through Best Buy, and then the whole thing got ganked. And it's so crazy to me that that, that was so long ago. You know, we're, we're going on the 60 series now, so what, that's five generations of, of Huawei devices. Man, that Mate 10 was, was so good. And then like a little flavor of that kind of lives on. Do I have my honor over here? Oh, it might be on the shelf. No, no, of course I do. It's right here. 
So like kind of a little flavor of that design and that kind of uh, heritage is living on in the Magic series. Um, the Honor phones have been stunning lately. And again, when we talk about like selling off a part of the business, you know, Honor was a separate entity that kind of existed under the Huawei umbrella. There's still a feel <laughs> of classic Huawei in that Honor device today. You know, it's it's funny because it's not. But it is, but it kind of, but no, but yeah. <laughs> so if you want an internationally distributed device that feels like a Huawei, but still has Google services on it, I'm kind of looking forward to what the next Honor is going to bring. I think they're going to be pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, the Mate 20X is a beast, uh, ER1980. And two turbo, I still got the Honor 8 in a drawer. I think, yeah, I, I don't know that I'll ever really be able to properly repair my Honor 8. Um, TK was at the dinner where I accidentally knocked over a candle and wax got poured into the earpiece. And I was despondent. I loved that phone. Um, but the Honor View 20 was also just like one of the last generation of Honor Huawei phones that got shipped here, uh, shipped to North America, not to the United States, but to, I think it was sold in Canada. And even that today, I was using that to still show off like desktop modes. That 64 megapixel camera was a beast. That red Chevron back glass. I mean, it was just gorgeous. Oh, so good. So I'm, I'm hoping that we see the Honor Magic 5 kind of step up and give us some of that other Huawei flavor that we were going on. Um, ha Sam, there's unfortunately not a whole lot that I can really say. Uh, hi Juan, any thoughts on the OnePlus 11 before our YouTube video starts flooding with videos? Um, I, I, I have my SIM card in it and it looks like this. And that is unfortunately the embargo that I am on. <laughs> I can show you the rear of the phone and that's about all. I can tell you a lot about the IQ 11. That phone is pretty great. So I think we're done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, J-Man with 150. Hold on. There may as well be that feel within OnePlus and Oppo because of the whole Oppoification. Um, I am not bothered. Okay. So, because I want to show things like this. Like, I, I can talk a lot about phones like... The Vivo X90 Pro, which we're going to talk about in the gadget block. So if you have questions, comments, concerns, something like that. And then there's the iQoo. And the iQoo series has been steadily improving from a budget. Um, I, I think iQoo started as an attempt at competing in different regions a little bit more like a Poco. But really, Realme took off. And that brand sort of exploded in that tier of um, Redmi and Poco type devices. The, the inexpensive, the starter level, and up to flagship killer. And Aiku still sells a couple phones that I would consider flagship ki killers, like the Neo. But really, they've been steadily trying to push the main year number in some of their pro devices. And they're stunning. Like, these, these phones are fantastic. They deserve to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any other premium tier device. They're, they're awesome. But then Vivo has their own, their own in-house 
This is this is their flagship photography product. The X series is is a monster camera performer. And these two sort of exist together, but there is like a little separation on design team. They just share a lot of parts and they share the same software. But the IQ is responsible for its own stuff and the Vivo just sort of guides that whole like umbrella of products and services. I think you get better products that way. And I feel like OnePlus being directly under Oppo is kind of the same story. You've got Oppo as the main brand, and then there's a sub-brand of Oppo that is using software, parts, pieces, design, sharing some of that labor, sharing some of that load. I think that means you'll get a better phone for less money. <laughs> I think you end up at a lower cost. Those thoughts are not directly tied to the OnePlus 11, but I felt that way with the OnePlus 10 Pro. So I am, um, we'll just have to wait and see what, if my thoughts have evolved <laughs> coming into the OnePlus 11. <laughs> Gornlord, is he blinking in Morse code? Oh man, I, my entire podcast would just be dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, dot, dot. All right, um, that does it for the news block and we're right on the hour. So I do want to highlight, this was a monster week on the subreddit. Every podcast has a subreddit. My podcast is no exception. But my subreddit is not a me subreddit. I routinely win my subreddit. I did not win this week. And I could not be more excited for the types of stories that we had come into um, glowing rectangles. So if you go to Reddit, you go to reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles, all one word, and you're going to find an incredible collection of content creators, both both large and small, but with content that doesn't always get the same kind of attention or respect from the algorithm on YouTube. So uh, let me fire this up here. Glowing rectangles, reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles, number one. Um, I'm actually not familiar with Nick Ackerman's channel. He's got 750,000 subscribers. This phone is great, and it's not iPhone, a Sony Xperia 1 Mark IV video. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like more people should be able to recognize that Sony phones are pretty rad. I'd, if it weren't for the current embargo that I'm under, my SIM card would still be in an Xperia 1 Mark IV. <laughs> but I had to use another phone to get a video done. Uh, number two, Ben's Gadget Reviews, really been stepping up with some of these photography and import phones, comparing the differences between the global X90 Pro that I have and the X90 Pro Plus that he imported from China. What's the difference? And so he's got a really good look at both of these phones side by side. Um, we've got an article from GSM Arena uh, submitted by Curio Critters. 128 gigabyte Samsung Galaxy S23 to use the slower UFS 3.1 storage. So uh, one of the new upgraded components on a Samsung Galaxy is going to be slowed down a little. Our number four story was my X90 Pro video. Um, so you can kind of check that out. I also got a couple comments. I was happy about that. And then rounding out our top five. I was really stoked to see this from MPL Ventures with 11,000 subscribers, why everyone is abandoning GoPro. And so this is a, I, I watched this video. I'm going to click the little up arrow right now. You see, that's what you do. Did you see all that effort that I just made? I just clicked one time on this little up arrow 
And now, algorithmically on Reddit, Reddit has data to suggest that this video is one point more popular than it was before I started this podcast. And that's all you need to do to interact on Reddit. You see, you just kind of touch that one little arrow. And I've got 57 people kind of co-streaming this right now. If uh, half of you upvoted a, 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 a post on glowing rectangles, you would tell Reddit that this content is more popular and deserves more attention, and that would help content creators. The big effort I would like you to make on social media this, this week would be helping people in Turkey and Syria. The second effort I would like you to make this week is to help some of your favorite content creators with literally the least amount of effort you can make <laughs> on, on a social media site. So, uh, reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles. I have a GoPro 10 black or 10 hero. Is it 10? I really don't love it. Um, I, I got it to cover just some lifestyle stuff. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I am so used to shooting from phones that when I have to turn to an action camera just because of the logistics of using a, a smaller shell camera, that video, Why Everyone is Abandoning GoPro, kind of spoke to me in terms of my experiences with performance and with uh, quality and with accessories. Man, do I really not like GoPro's main strategy for putting out accessories for their cameras and then also just the evolution of what kind of mobile photography looks like i don't think action cameras especially the gopro style cameras have really evolved significantly over the last couple of years so anyway reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles tech by germaine man that seems like a lot of work <laughs> you would be correct Motivating any effort or action is an enormous amount of whining from me to get a couple of people to consider touching an up arrow <laughs> just so that they can tell their tell an algorithm help this content creator out. I like their videos. Like if you just went once a week and just clicked up arrows on like all of the front page stuff, you would be helping an army of content creators that almost never show up in my feed. I have never seen a video from Nick Ackerman that has never been served to me on YouTube. I have, I don't know who this guy is. I haven't watched this video, but it's subject matter that I would be interested in because I would love to see someone else's take on an Xperia 1 Mark IV. YouTube knows that I'm a Sony nut for smartphones, and I never see content like this. But I go to my own subreddit where I've lost, well, I didn't lose, I'm in the top five, but I didn't win my subreddit this week, and the top posted video on my subreddit is absolutely something I am interested in. That's the problem with algorithms. They're not really giving us what we want. They're only giving us what will keep us on the site longer and usually harming our mental health to do so. It's usually not the stuff that we're interested in. It's often more the stuff that will make us angry or afraid. Reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles, and you can be the change you would like to see in the world. <laughs> and also help out some really cool content creators. So, um, that's the subreddit plug. <laughs> uh, 
uh, from Steve Pogue. I just post memes and stuff for fun there. I'm not really a content creator, but this subreddit is where I'm starting to crack my socially anxious shell. Steve, that means a lot to me that you're, again, I feel like if you're new to Reddit, finding a little pocket community is the best way to get started. You don't just go to a major subreddit and try to start interacting because often the subreddit moderators will shut you down. Here would be a good place to start racking up some of them internet points and, uh, and uh, you know, getting your sea legs before trying to contribute to other communities. Simon says, Hypno, this Germain fella does some great videos. He may just be earning fish and chips. <laughs> Germain is a pretty cool dude. Um... <laughs> Uh, ER1980, uh, Nick mainly covers Apple, Samsung, and Google devices. However, he is open-minded and tends to occasionally cover other, cover other devices too. So that to me is even more critical. If a content creator is straying from their normal sort of collection of devices, that is death on the algorithm. If YouTube knows you as a Samsung creator and you make a video on a Vivo and you don't pack it full of Samsung commentary, you just try to make a video about the Vivo, that video will get slaughtered. If it has different keywords and it's for a different audience, oh, how could we even know if your viewers would want to watch this? That's even more critical if an iPhone Samsung-focused creator is making a video about an Xperia YouTube should be shoving that video up my nose. Like someone from Google should arrive in one of their little street view cars with like a flash drive and literally try to shove that flash drive into my eyeball. That's even more, if YouTube were really in the business of growing channels, building audience and fulfilling communities, that's what they should be doing. That that should be the reaction when an iPhone primary, uh, an iPhone-focused content creator strays, YouTube should be with all of their data. They know my viewing habits. They know what I like to watch videos on. YouTube should be trying to help this guy out. But I didn't get the alert from YouTube. I got the, not I got the notice when I was prepping this podcast this morning from reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles. That's how I found out about this video YouTube has no interest in this video succeeding or dying unless this guy brings audience to the video himself. And that's what kills me. So anyway. <sighs> Gormlord, absolutely. Hence him putting iPhone in the title. Not that I'm faulting him for that, but that's the game. And again, that, that's we shouldn't have to play that game. If YouTube were really good... At, at getting people the kinds of the kind of content that they would be interested in, then we wouldn't have to do this dance. Making shock-faced emojis and all that nonsense has nothing to do with the quality or the caliber of, of the conversation. <sighs> yeah, tech by Jermaine. Again, we're going to move on. This is the last comment here for, for the subreddit plug. It's a shame that it works like that. From time to time, it just makes it feel like, why is subscribing a thing? I, you can subscribe and smash bell icons, and it still doesn't mean that YouTube is going to send you the video. You've done everything that you can do to tell YouTube that you want to watch content from someone, and it still won't <laughs> send you the content. So anyway, um, we have a couple uh, short stories here uh, for the tech block, and then I want to spend the remainder, like if we can do a good half hour, 
I've got some some heavy thoughts on the Poco. Even from producing the video, I still have more thoughts on the Poco. And then the Vivo X90 Pro has just been, it's just been an amazing phone uh, to start breaking in here on the channel. <clears throat> so uh, I want to start here. Let me throw this. Uh, let, let's start with this one. This one was a little bit of a downer because all of premium Android is kind of tied uh, to the to the health and success of one brand, especially here in the United States. Samsung's Q4 profits plummet 69%, hitting an eight-year low. This is written up by Ron Amadeo at Ars Technica. Uh, just briefly from the article, for Q4 2022, the company's revenue down to 70.5 trillion yuan, about $57 billion U.S., is an 8% drop from Q4 2021. It doesn't look too bad. Q4 profits plummeted 69% year over year, though, down to 4.3 trillion Korean yuan, or about $3.5 billion. That's an eight-year low for Samsung going back to Q3 2014. And so uh, for the last two years, we keep getting these year-over-year -year estimates. At the beginning of the year, Samsung can do no wrong. Galaxy S is the strongest it's ever been. These are the best pre-orders we've ever seen. They set a new sales record. We estimate that we're going to sell X number of phones. That's going to be awesome. The same thing happened at the beginning of last year. Samsung went out to their investors and said, we are aiming for 300 million uh, phones sold over the course of 2022. Later in the year, after the middling response, oh, and of that, they were estimating 10% would be Galaxy S. They were on, they, they were, uh, on track. They were saying, we're going to sell 300 million phones and 30 million of those phones are going to be Galaxy S series devices, our premium best profit devices. Later in the year, they revised that estimate to 270 million phones. So they cut 10% off of their uh, estimate for how many total phones they were going to sell. And as far as we can tell, they ended the year 2022 selling under that. They sold around 260 million phones. So even their revision was still off by 10 million phones. And of that, I think about 25 million were Galaxy S, and that's all of them. Galaxy S22, S22 Plus, and S23, uh, S22 Ultra that I call the Note 22. And the Note 22 did really well as a one-off model, but... We also know that the S22 and the S22 Plus did not sell as well as Samsung was hoping. We're kind of racking up the same attempt, but I think a number of us in the tech space kind of are going into 2023 with more reasonable expectations on Samsung as a brand. We know they're not trying to juice their unit sales with the bestest trade-in deals, we know trade-ins kind of took a took a dive um, uh, after the last couple years of like ridiculously overvalued trade-ins to try and keep their unit uh, their units higher. We see that they've already kind of devalued some of their products just in how they manage those resales and how aggressive they are with straight-up sales. Like I'll be very surprised if the S twenty three doesn't have some kind of crazy on its own sale 
before <laughs> you you also factor in something like a trade-in. And then just getting this as a financial report where prices in a number of regions are also climbing. So from this article, in Spain, every Galaxy S phone is getting a 100 euro bump up just across the board. So the base model S23, 128 gig of the slower storage, it's UFS3 storage, 1080p screen, 3900 milliamp hour battery, reasonable but just sort of mainstream, not special camera sensors, 959 euro. A really expensive phone for it to just be sort of a good phone. In similar markets, the iQ11 is aiming for around 700 euro or 250 euro less than the base model S23 where you would get real fast charging, you would get the V2 coprocessor for better low light, you get the 1440p screen at 144 hertz. It's like the newest OLED that you can get for high performance. Um, the 5,000 milliamp hour battery and a 120 watt charger in the box. So if you compare the base model S23 in Spain, you would also have to probably spend another 30 euro to get a faster charger, to get slower charging than what comes in the box on something like the iQ11. So again, that's not region to region to region. I don't even know if the iQ11 is going to be sold in Spain, but when we look at just the markets for how all of this stuff goes down, Samsung has been due a market correction, and I feel we're seeing the direct impact of that happening right now. And I don't know that they've got a specific answer for a more mainstream product segment. S23, the, excuse me, the S23 Ultra, the top of the line, the Note 23, is going to be one of the best phones of the year. Uh, Marilyn chose correctly. She got one of the best phones in the year, and I think one of the more interesting colors of one of the best phones of the year. Just a quick interjection here, folks. I love highlighting good work and talented people, producers and writers who deserve more attention. So here's a quick word from someone making cool stuff on the internet, and I hope you check out what they have to offer. Hello, my name is Martin, and I run the Tech Altar YouTube channel. I talk about tech, obviously, but instead of focusing purely on the devices themselves, I mostly analyze the companies, their business and marketing strategies, as well as the industry trends that shape the gadgets we all love. I studied business, I worked for a couple of tech companies like Oppo in China, for example, and I'm building my own tech startup on the side right now, so I really like talking about these topics. And if you enjoy zooming out and trying to see the bigger picture as well, you can find me by searching for Tech Altar, that's A-L-T-A-R on YouTube, and you can also come say hi to me on Twitter as well. Thanks, Juan. If you're coming from an older phone and you're looking at that upgrade, I think it makes a ton of sense. Samsung is most vulnerable at the more mainstream tiers. And the base models are not as competitive <laughs> as we try to make them sound when we hype up a company. And I feel now we're seeing the effects of that. When your profits drop 70% year over year in a quarter, that's really bad. That is a company that completely missed the mark on adapting to changing market trends and delivering products for consumers that really interested them. And also a company that has scaled way back on advertising. 
So now they're advertising closer to kind of the price tier globally as Apple does, but with a much larger portfolio of gadgets and consumer electronics and household appliances. So way less of their marketing budget is going to phones and tablets where that's most of Apple's bread and butter. So just the awareness, the constant pressure of Samsung as a brand has whittled way back. And wouldn't you know it, with scaling back that hard on advertising, we've watched their sales continue to slide. So from the Galaxy S10 to now, I think Samsung is down roughly 45% for Galaxy S sales. Peak Samsung was Galaxy S10, Galaxy Note 10. And it's all been downhill. Oh yeah, Tech by Germain. I love this. Yeah. Oh man, it's hilarious. Uh, Tech by Germain writes, I can import with import cost paid and tax the X90 Pro with 12 gigs of RAM. That's 50% more RAM. And 256 gigs of storage for $900 or around 850 euro. That is 100 euro less than the S23. And the S23 Plus is around... (laughs) Oh, and the Pro Plus is around 1,000 euro. So if you spent 50 more euro, you could import the Chinese, the slightly fancier version of the Vivo X90 Pro. And that would be a much better phone than a Galaxy S23. There's no... The only thing the S23 would win is DeX. Everything else. (laughs) And unlike Samsung, you would get a charger and a case in the box for the price of the phone. And not just a charger, a charger that can charge roughly three times faster. 120 watt charging, let me tell you, um, is really nice. All right, uh, that's enough on Samsung. I know I soapbox on that a lot. Um, Two other quick stories that I just want to point out. I'm not going to detail this too much because... Really, I'd just be repeating stuff from the article, and I I feel like this is one of those tech stumbles. It's a little embarrassing, but it's a kind of technology that really does provide a benefit. We just have to figure out some of these use or edge cases that can can get in the way. Um, But the New York Times has a great write-up on uh, My Watch Thinks I'm Dead, written up by Matt, I think it's Richtel. Um, over on New York Times, dispatchers for 911 are being inundated with false automated distress calls from Apple devices owned by skiers who are very much alive. So I feel like inundated might be a little strong, but I, I'd like you to kind of go through, and I love that they've got like these these like concerned photos of 911 dispatchers in their offices. I, I don't know what that really helps illustrate in the article. But um, going through some of the personal stories and some of the anecdotes from people who have been wearing Apple Watches, and they've been doing things like um, high adventure, skiing, cycling, riding roller coasters, things that, one, will get your pulse rate up, but then also expose the watch to um, G-forces that would indicate to the hardware something else has happened. You've maybe gotten into a car accident, or maybe you've fallen down and you can't get up again, or something else has happened. Those tech bits, excuse me, I got like quivery and emotional there. Uh, Those tech bits are really helpful. We want to get my grandparents, because they have like iPads and iPhones, we would like to get my grandparents on some Apple Watch gear to help. Like if if my nana takes a fall, 
we want to know. <laughs> and she's not going to do any skiing or race car driving or roller coaster riding. Uh, she's a spry old lady, but she's not doing that. But but the practical, the, the way that it ties together, the way that it works with her iPhone, like we think this would be a benefit and also just kind of help tracking some of her health data in, in later life. That makes sense to us. So we've got to figure out how to compartmentalize. Like it's clumsy, but hey, you're going to a theme park, turn on roller coaster mode. And that way it's not going to immediately dial 911 if it detects high G-force. There's obviously a solution here. And it's one that probably requires some user engagement. But while it's embarrassing, it's the next step of something that we need to figure out. When we make tech more personal and incorporate it more into our biology, that data can be difficult to work with. And the watch isn't going to know high blood pressure, high pulse rate, high anxiousness, you know, like, is that caused from you having a heart attack or a cardiac event? Or is that you riding, you're like going bungee jumping? <laughs> we, we detected a fall and a sudden stop. Oh no, you must be dead. <laughs> you know, the watch isn't going to know the difference. So it, to me, the, the, the article, again, it, it does a great job of kind of spelling out some of the concerns that um, emergency responders are facing because they have a job to do and they, they have to take this stuff seriously. But I feel like this is one of those minor tech hurdles that we will evolve out of and we'll probably figure out some better tools for incorporating this type of capability into future products and software updates. But it's a great read. It really is good. Just kind of tracking what's going on and kind of the impact, the expectations that people have when uh, we rely on these types of emergency services. <laughs> oh, Paul, my Apple watch thinks I'm dead because I'm sitting for work all day. My, my watch just harassed me. I don't know if you heard the buzz on, uh, on this mic, but I was like, hey, you need to stand up. And you're like, oh, I wish I could. I should do this podcast. I have a standing desk and I never raise it. I should do this podcast standing up so I can like walk around the office and stuff. That would probably be way better for me. Um, lastly, I just want to kind of highlight this because it's adorable. And again, it's a cause that I think a lot of people um, might consider one worth supporting. Uh, we here in America don't have the same kind of relationship with Red Nose Day, but I'm going to try and import some because the Red Nose this year was designed by, by Johnny Ive from Apple. And it's really pretty. Uh, so Comic Relief, every year, they, they, they do sort of this charitable red nose event. Um, apologies if you're catching the leaf blower that is right outside my window. And this year, they designed, the, the person who designed the red nose is the former uh, chief Apple designer for Apple products. And it's, a, it, it's this like half crescent um, with this really beautifully articulated hinge that then opens kind of like a, like a crepe paper party decoration. You know, you've seen those spheres that, that are made out of paper and like kind of a, a weave of paper that creates kind of a, a, a ball and it clamps to your nose and it comes in like a little case. I, I don't know if I have the Amazon link here because the Amazon link shows it in this nice little case that it ships in and it's this perfect little like half, uh, half circle um, plastic sphere. 
So I, I uh, right now, this is Amazon.co.uk, and they're saying that they're out of stock right now. But if I can import one, I'm going to buy one of these just to have any Johnny, uh, Johnny Ive product in the gadget lab right now. I feel like an expanding clown nose, a red nose. I just, it looks gorgeous <laughs> for what a little red nose thing is supposed to be. So, um, yeah, uh, get out there and support Comic Relief. Uh, I believe that's uh, focused on, it's to, to help alleviate the the impact of poverty and food scarcity someone please correct me if i'm wrong and i am happy to kick a couple bucks oh i think it's going to sell in the uk for like three pound um so yeah i'll have to spend like 10 getting one shipped here the shipping is going to be like twice what the nose costs but i'm gonna get one um because i think it's adorable uh but again yet another cause that i think is worthy of of supporting so um, definitely keep an eye out for that. I love, again, Johnny Ive had such a, a, a unique and minimalist kind of design approach that I'm sure uh, was, was kind of polarizing. Um, but seeing him kind of just live his best life, how cool is that? I've left Apple. I had all these great experiences. I'm probably richer than I'll ever need to worry about money for the rest of my life. It's great. And like, he can just go and tackle a design project, like making a red clown nose, the most beautiful red clown nose that money can buy. And it's going to be three pound. <laughs> That's awesome. That just made me so happy to see like, that was the partnership for this year's red nose. Um, because I've seen some in the past that just look like regular clown noses, or sometimes they put faces on them. Like, it, I, I, I am not directly exposed to the red nose thing very frequently, but we watch a lot of BBC. So we, we're sort of passively aware of it. So when I saw that article, I was like, I got to talk about an Apple designer making the absolute best <laughs> red nose it's ever been created in the history again i want to go i want it to be presented like it's an apple keynote right you go out on stage and one more thing red nose and then you kind of you know, talk about useless benchmarks this is the fastest red nose the best battery powered red nose reducing the shipping costs of a red nose because it collapses so there's less packaging waste for this red nose <laughs> 35% more honking than a, a comparable, than the best-selling uh, Windows red nose. 35% more honking. There you go. Simon says Hypno absolutely nailed. <laughs> uh, I wonder what the Geekbench score is. So, um, I have two phones in-house that have been rocking my socks. And I'm totally uh, open to making this more of like a Q&A. If you guys uh, want to chat, uh, if you find folks would like to chat uh, Poco or the Vivo, but um, I'm going to be really slow getting to any kind of Galaxy coverage this year because I have a lot just coming in, a lot on my plate from some of these other companies and the Poco snuck in. Um, so actually, you know what? Uh, I know Simon says him, no, just said, let's talk Vivo, but let me spend a couple minutes here real quick. Cause I want to detail, I, I, I want to talk about this. I'm really excited about this because I think this is a good illustration of what happens with competition. So I, I want to start with the Poco 
This is the Poco X5 Pro 5G. Last year, it's on my desk, we had the Poco X4. In my video, I detail this. You'll get the story on this because it's like a it's like chapters of a story. The Poco X3 was a sweetheart. It had a Snapdragon 860, a monster performing SoC. In the move to 5G, the Poco X4 got a Snapdragon 695. Now, I still think the Poco X4 is a good daily driver phone. The 695 is, is a great chipset just for, you know, communications. It's really nice. It's great for streaming media, playing a few games. But I had a lot of people in my comments very unhappy that the move to 5G cost them the more premium SoC. The Poco brand is like the most visible flagship killer brand IMO globally. So for the X5, they are still using a mid-ranger 700 series chip, but this is the 778. And if you've been checking out coverage on some of the other mid-ranger phones out there, this is my first experience with the 778. It takes us back up to the performance of those old Snapdragon 855s. So the chip that was in a phone like the, the Pixel 5a, is roughly as powerful as like a Snapdragon 845. The chip that's in this takes us up to the Snapdragon 855. And that is now where, where I feel we're crossing the line into overkill. If you're buying a phone like this and you just want to cover the basics, like I do phone calls and I read through my social media and I take like a photo every week or so, you don't even need to buy this. This X5 ridiculous overkill <laughs> for tackling that. And so I'm reviewing the 256 gig version of the X5. It's going on sale today for around 300 euro, depending on region. It's got a 108 megapixel camera. Cool. It's got an okay ultra wide and the, the macro is useless. You'll never use the macro and you will get demonstrably better photos if you just zoom from the main camera sensor. I really wish Poco would just stop putting it on there. It's a terrible sensor. It is so bad. It is a waste of money and manufacturing and it's awful. I hate it. But it's got great stereo speakers. It has a headphone jack has an IR blaster, it has one of those phenomenal power button fingerprint sensors, and it's got a 1080p OLED at 120 hertz, depending on region, 300 euro. And it's got a case and a 67 watt charger in the box. So not only does it charge faster than any $1,000 Samsung or $1,000 iPhone, you don't have to pay more to get the charger. It's in the box. <laughs> so <laughs> I so want an option like this in the United States. I accidentally let this phone die over the weekend. And my Pixel 6a, which is a great mid-ranger phone, it was also dead. The half hour <laughs> before I went live on the podcast, I went, oh shoot, I should plug these phones in. So the Pixel got to 
68%, well, it was actually more like 45 minutes. After 45 minutes of charging, the Pixel 6a got to 68% battery. It took like 10 minutes to get to 90% <laughs> on, on the Poco X5. This is what hardware competition is gonna bring. The Tensor in the Pixel 6a is going to be a little bit more powerful for real world app performance. It definitely outpaces the Snapdragon 855 and that's gonna outpace the Poco X5. The main camera performance and the ultra wide camera performance, definitely the Pixel. The Poco takes very good photos, but nothing is as effortless a point and shoot camera as what Google is doing on the Pixel. If you want to dive into some of those other like um, control options, things like focus peaking are here on the Poco X5. You can take the Poco app a little further for photography and content creation, but just seriously, the, the mainstream consideration of an entry-level to mid-ranger phone, Pixels are going to win. I don't like making it a win or lose, but man, the Pixel 6a camera is really good. Better fingerprint sensor, better screen, better charging, bigger battery, IR blaster, headphone jack. The only other win that the Pixel's really going to mount is software support, where we're very confident that at these prices, a Pixel's going to come with longer, more updates for the main operating system and longer support for security patches and bug fixes. But this is what competition should look like. MSRP to MSRP, the Pixel is 50% more expensive. And if we're shopping at the entry level to the starter mid-range, $150 is a big jump when you also have to factor in the costs of things like a good starter case and a charger to go with the phone. <laughs> this is stunning hardware competition. This kills me that we are not getting options like this regularly here in the United States. We have some Motos that do very well. We've got some TCLs. The TCL sort of entry level tier is pretty good. It is not like this though. Uh, a, a TCL 30 compared to this X5 at 300 euro, that is a rough fight for the TCL. I'm, I'm gobsmacked. I, it, it was such a stunning return to form, seeing like where we were, because I liked the, X, the X4 Pro. The X4 Pro is a very good phone, but it's a more mainstream daily driver. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a step more powerful than Cover the Basics. This Poco X5 is taking us up into enthusiast territory where gaming is really good. There is a sizable difference in gaming performance between the X4 and the X5. It's just so rare that we're even getting this kind of premium battery tech coming to phones here in the United States, let alone phones at $300 or 300 euro, whatever the conversion on that might look like today. This is phenomenal. <laughs> like, whether or not you really like what Poco does, I think I got some comments like, oh, I don't like Xiaomi's skin. And like, okay, fine. You're, that's totally fair. I'm not the biggest fan of MIUI, the kind of skin that goes over on top of, of Android, but it's brilliantly animated. It is very resource efficient. And again, even on a sort of a a mid-ranger, but still performance-oriented phone, it's not like it's slowing the phone down. Like, 
I'm getting like 30 to 45 frame per second gaming at 1080p in games that I can control the graphics settings at max graphics. Like I'm good. That, that, that totally satisfies what I feel a 300 euro phone should be able to accomplish. And that's with the 256 gigs of storage. If you step down to 128, you shave another 50 euro off that phone. It's a 250 euro phone at 128. The only reason why I'm still like fixated on the 300 euro 256 gig version is because this does have a reasonably good camera that shoots pretty good 4K video. You would want to future-proof that just a bit. <sighs> Blows my mind. Absolutely fantastic. Um, and the more I've been using it, it's things like I was mentioning at the beginning of this podcast, like this is the phone that we just kept turning to, like, oh no, we lost our TV remote. Is there any other way that we can control our TV and our Chromecast? And yes, there is. I programmed in the IR blaster to work with our soundbar and, and got the Google remote app going so we could do that little flick gesture and turning on the TV because that's separate. And you're like, this is cheaper than a lot of those like premium universal remotes that we still sell. Like the entire bottom falling out of the industry on things like Logitech Harmony remotes, a 5G capable phone with good gaming performance and a gorgeous screen, cheaper than a Logitech Harmony remote. You could import a Poco to control your entertainment center and have a better universal remote. Do nothing else on the phone. Get rid of all the other apps, uninstall everything, lock it down, just use like the IR blaster and like a Google remote to control a Chromecast or a Roku or something like that. And this could be it. <laughs> I just, it, 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 it's getting silly seeing how much tech has fallen to these more like consumer, um, uh, consumer accessible tiers of the market and then still pointing out like the, the, the cost comparison has gotten so crazy lopsided. We're talking about thousand dollar phones, average consumers. What, what's the least we can do with a phone and spend a thousand dollars on that phone. But if you look at other consumer electronics and accessories, Let's say you just wanted like a good MP3 player, a good media player with a good screen and good speakers and a built-in headphone jack that does a reasonably good job of driving inexpensive headphones and, and, and earbuds, $250. Let's say you wanted a universal remote for your TV and entertainment setup, $250. I mean, like, that's nuts. And it's a full phone. It's a full computer. <laughs> It would be such silly overkill, but the products that we have that fulfill that need often cost more than $250. <sighs> I love it. I love it. I love it so much. I mean, again, that, that, that sparks the joy. Uh, I liked the X4. I thought the X4 was a, was a good buy. This, to me, brings Poco right back into that enthusiast tier and, and I really hope, again, why folks should get excited about a nothing phone. I was really salty on the nothing when it first launched, but it seems the company is, is, is executing on their promises and on their commitments to their customers. They're trying to push into other markets. I'm happy to have my mind changed on nothing. But in the meantime, if you have 250 euro to spend, you can pick up a Poco X5 Pro and it's going to be a champ. And that phone is going to hit hard. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good. We like seeing we like seeing that a lot. <laughs>
yeah, Tech by Jermaine, the X50 Pro seems like a solid one. Uh, Jman150, how long was the Poco event earlier? I did not stay up to watch the event. I had the video done. I had it set to publish, and it was 4.30 in the morning LA time, so I don't, I don't know how long that went. Uh, Gormlord, see, this is what I'm talking about. Gormlord says, the Poco X3 is big in the gaming and emulating scene on Reddit. This one is going to do great as well, I'd guess. Very subtle differences between the performance of a Snapdragon 860. Poco X3 had the Snapdragon 860, not the 865. The 860 is a plus-plus version of the 855. Qualcomm's naming conventions, very frustrating, because you could do 855, 856, 857, and then you would know what generation of chip it was. But if you say it's an 860, you think, oh, well, this must be like a newer chip based on the 865, and you would be wrong. So the 778 uses a similar core configuration on a die shrink compared to the 855, but it uses newer cores and uh, at lower clock speeds. So it's not a perfect oranges to oranges comparison, but you generally arrive at performance that hangs with the 855, but at a better performance per watt. So I still think the X3 will probably win some of these outright sprints, but I believe the X5 is going to handle gaming to a similar performance tier, but then hopefully also run a little cooler or run a little bit more consistent over longer gameplay. I don't have an X3 to test, so I, I can't comment on that as specifically, but it's hanging in there pretty well against the X4 GT which was the high-performance version of the Poco X4. The X4 GT and the X5 Pro are neck-and-neck neck in a lot of these different like specs and measurements. That is a stunning fight to have, not even year-over-year. Year. We're talking less than six months separating those two phones. <laughs> Steve, but can it run Crisis? It probably can. I would love someone to give us a good port of Crisis because something tells me modern flag flagship phone SoCs can probably do a reasonably good job of handling Crisis now. When a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 is roughly as powerful as a GTX 1050 to a 1060, it should be able to run Crisis. You might be running Crisis in 720p, but like you should have Crisis running at acceptable frame rates. If someone could give us a good port. I have no issues pushing Alien Isolation at 30 frames per second on mid-ranger phones. Alien Isolation! So it doesn't have the wide-open draw distances of Crisis, but that's still a pretty graphics-demanding game at the highest graphics setting that are supported on Android. And from what I hear, because I haven't really been able to figure out how to do this, if you can kind of... If you root your phone and get into the, the app data of Alien Isolation, you can kick it up to 60 frames per second and it runs pretty consistently on, I think, up to Snapdragon 865s. So if we can do Alien Isolation on a phone at 60 frames per second, then we're outpacing my Steam Deck in performance per watt. Like, I'll be able to game at 60 FPS longer on a phone than I will on a Steam Deck. That's awesome. So yeah, I'm pretty sure it can if someone would give it to us. We got to get Crisis on a phone. Someone talk to some developers. We we should be able to do that. <laughs> so that that's the the rambling like 
excitement. The the Poco did catch me by surprise. The Poco puts out so many phones that you kind of get burnt out. Um, there were four different variants of the M series from the end of 2021 to the beginning of uh, from the end of 2021 to the end of 2022. There were I I personally received three different M4s and two different M5s. I think so like four or five different variants on the M series phone that were all exceedingly similar. The X five came in and was a delightful change of pace. It wasn't just, Hey, let's compromise some of the performance so that we can slap on a 5g radio. It was, Hey, let's really return to form on an enthusiast focused device that can really do some fun things. If you want to push a cheap phone even harder. And that to me is, is a really lovely direction that gets Poco back into what I think people really identify with the Poco brand. Like if you want a really, really inexpensive daily driver phone, I would maybe lean more like Redmi. Um, and again, this is all region dependent. Some regions are going to have both. Some regions will only have one or the other. Um, Poco M series are good. Redmi are good. But then you step up and man, like a Poco X series now is a dramatically good performer in like performance per dollar. Just gorgeous. Flippin' love it. And if we could get anything like that here in the United States, we would have some flagship killer competition to really stress Google. Like the Pixel 6a is the best we've got here in North America as a flagship killer. Near flagship tier performance, it wins a lot of our camera showdowns, but there's some room there to put Google on on notice. There's definitely some, I think Barry would agree, like battery charging speed can really put a hurt on Google, especially on a Pixel 6a. <laughs> so let, let's wrap up the, the, the rest of the stream. Um, I don't mind going a little long if we're going to be talking about really fun, cool, crazy phones, uh, because the other, the opposite side of the price bracket from an inexpensive uh, sort of starter mid-ranger phone to a more premium tier device with this phenomenal one, there it is, the one inch camera sensor, or, or as Ted rightfully is, is correcting, it's a one inch type camera sensor, a, six, a, a slightly larger than 16 millimeter diagonal. Um, this phone has been stunning to shoot on. The main camera sensor is an absolute monster I'm having the most difficult time. I'm writing a comparison between the X90 Pro and my Xiaomi 12S Ultra. I Please don't make me choose. <laughs> I, I, so much of my B-roll has been shot from Xiaomi and Vivo over the last year. And it's a continuation of a video that I put out last year where... These two phones, the Xiaomi 12S Ultra and the X90 Pro, complement and compete. Each phone does something better than the other. So when one phone is kind of like, oh, I wish this phone could do this type of processing better, that's what the other phone does. And when this phone is like, oh, but I wish the companion sensors could do this, that's what this phone does. It's like they're almost puzzle pieces. In, in what one phone is sort of a little lacking, the other phone is amazing. And what that phone is a little lacking, the first phone is amazing at. It's, it's so much fun. Um, I, I, we, we, uh, 
I, I've been taking, you know, like uh, just sort of life photos. Right now in the United States, so much conversation is focused on resolution. Is it 108 megapixels? Is it 50 megapixels? Is it 200 megapixels? And that to me is the least important part of this conversation. As we've seen uh, Vivo and Xiaomi partner with lens manufacturers, Leica and Zeiss, we've seen not only an improvement to processing, but we've seen improvements to lens quality, better lens coatings, better clarity, better detail, and on top of that, now we're seeing those improvements come to larger and larger and larger sensors. If you're only taking sort of snapshotty photos from medium distances or longer distances, or if you're shooting like a, a landscape style photography, the benefits of these sensors don't immediately pop. Um, your photography is gonna look kind of the same as an older phone or a phone with a much smaller sensor. And I feel like that's where we do a disservice because we focus so much on things like the tech of the sensor. Oh, it's doing all this HDR. Isn't the HDR better? Or the sharpening and the processing is better? And that doesn't really tell you what makes a bigger sensor better. The optical characteristics of a sensor like this 989, the Sony sensor that's in this Vivo, really manifest when you want to craft an image and you know that you can play with things like a shallower depth of field or more subject background separation or a, an optical improvement to low light photography. If you shoot a raw file at night, there is so much more information to work with with one of these new mega sensors than, uh, so like my Pixel 6a. Pixel 6a is a phenomenal point and shoot camera. It's one of the best in the entire industry, not just the best for its price. If your needs really truly are take phone out of pocket, take photo, put phone back in pocket, and you might not even tap on the screen to focus, you should buy a Pixel 6a. And you can just stop right there. You're good. But if you're trying to craft photos or videos with some kind of final result in mind, it really makes sense that you step up to something that has more features and more capabilities to do that kind of photography. And for me, it's all about kind of isolating a subject. If I'm isolating a subject through exposure by making the subject brighter and the background darker, or if I'm using the lens's ability to focus crystal clear on someone's face and then blur the background almost immediately behind their head, then that to me is worth spending three times more to achieve that kind of optical effect on a phone camera. So, um, I'm really, I'm really very pleased. The performance has been fantastic. Uh, the MediaTek 9200 is a beast of an SOC. Um, I, oh, oh, hey, look, I just got an update. So my Vivo X90 Pro, uh, after you select night update, update. So I'm gonna say install now. Oh, but I want you to tell me how big is the update? How big is the update? Cause I really wanna start shooting for my camera deep dive. 213 meg. Okay, this is good. This is happening right now. It's happening live. It's live on the podcast. This is breaking news. Vivo X90 Pro Global Edition, second major update. Oh, um, uh, okay. That's not super exciting. The listed improvements for the camera 
optimize the effects of selfies taken with the front camera, which is the least exciting camera, um, uh, optimized for outdoor settings, improved overall picture clarity, optimized the portrait photos taken by the front camera indoors to show a more rosy face. Eh. Meh. That's not, that's not super hot. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm less excited about that, but that at least puts us in territory to kind of figure out what's going on. Um, if I can, I don't know if this is going to work well with my current setup. So I'm going to see if I can, if I can show this cause it's kind of hilarious. Um, Vivos have always represented some of the brightest photography that a phone can achieve. So, uh, e uh even, in, uh, IQs. So like the IQ nine pro, the IQ 11, there's always a focus on lifting the brightness. If your social media strategy is try and catch eyeballs, Samsung tends to oversaturate. They've gotten way better, and the Galaxy S23 Ultra looks like it's it's a much more reasonable, contrastier image than previous Samsungs. It's not full-on unicorn puke, but they usually tend to manipulate color and the color of the lighting that happens in your shot. I shoot samples under yellow lights. Samsungs make me look orange jaundice. It not a great look. But Vivos, they tend not to overboost color. They tend to overdo brightness and white point. So you know when you're editing a photo in like Photoshop or Lightroom, for me it's Photomate R3 on Android, you can control not only just the brightness slider, but also like the white and black levels. And to me, a Vivo always tends to peg brightness and white point more aggressively than they need to. Um, so here, let me pull up X90 Pro, uh, X90 Pro camera. Let me move this over here. Oh, you know what I can, this might work if I screen share rather than if I go through OBS. Hold on, this might kill the whole screen, uh, whole, whole stream, the whole screen stream. Hey, podcast listeners. I work really hard to find mutually beneficial ways to support production on my various distribution platforms. Instead of just running ads on this podcast and hoping they don't annoy you, I want to find products or services that you really will get something out of and that can help fund my production. While I do talk about some of those items in ads throughout this podcast, I've never created one easy-to-view master list of my current partnerships until now. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. If you'd like to help contribute, support production of this podcast and my various videos and reviews, head on over to somegadgetguy.com. At the top, there's going to be a link for support some gadget guy, and you can see what my current partnerships are. At the time this podcast was recorded, in addition to my Patreon, we can hook you up with a $10 voucher for shopping a new OnePlus, save 20% on some one more headphones, Sign you up for Google Fi service, Amazon affiliate links, Audible, or you can grab a Mega Pickle coffee mug of your very own. Mmm, savory, delicious Mega Pickles. Head on over to somegadgetguy.com, support banner on the top right-hand side of my website, and hopefully you find something cool, something you like, while also kicking me a little extra scratch. We did this on Best of Our Week, too, so if you caught this on Thursday, this is a little bit of a repeat but I think it's hilarious because I know I'm going to get a whole bunch of pissy comments. Oh, it's a night photo. Shouldn't night photos like at night be dark? I'm <laughs> so clever. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Uh, no, that doesn't work because then you, I, it turns off my mic. 
Um, oh, you know what? I'm going to, uh, just for a second, I'm going to turn off the chat. That'll give us a slightly bigger image. Okay. So this is actually a pretty good JPEG representation of what this scene looks like at night. It's a real, it's that crazy funky truck that one of my neighbors is making this like custom hot rod truck thing. It's like a truckosaurus. It, it, it's a, a monster of metal and parts. And our streets get dark at night. There are, there's very poor lamp light. As you can see, there's literally only one lamp in this photo and it's like a block away not a half a like it's legitimately an entire block away so when i'm showing you these shots at night especially like uh the house that i like to shoot this neighborhood just gets crazy 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 dark now this was a jpeg just to kind of recreate what the scene looks like to my eye i need you to keep this in mind this is how dark our street gets um now moving to a night mode photo this is what uh, a four second handheld exposure looks like, just lifting all of this information out of the shadows and absolutely nailing like little color accents, things like this patch on the battery that is sort of mismatched from the rest of it, the cabling, you know, these little uh, machined bits. All of this is pretty accurate. Even the wood paneling on the back of the truck under what little yellow light is is uh, getting received by the sensor. So already, this is incredible. This is a night mode photo. This is still a JPEG heavily processed. A regular raw file, not a, any type of processed image. This is a regular raw file under auto exposure. So the phone decided all of the exposing from this one inch sensor looks like this which is mind-boggling. So this is, uh, hold on, let me, I think I can actually pull up. Um, my computer is like really starting to drag. All right, let me see if I can do it in here. Did it say, oh, the raw file actually doesn't have like the exposure. Um, give me one second. Let me see if I can just kind of pull this up. Details, how long was this exposure? This is one-tenth of a second. In those super dark conditions, the raw file is able to pull out this level of detail a tenth of a second. It's brighter than the night mode photo. And it actually kind of gets the white balance more correct based on the, the, the color of the scene, ignoring the color of the yellow lamps in our neighborhood. One tenth of a second. So you're holding your phone and you do a night mode photo and you push the shutter button and you have to hold still for four seconds or you're gonna get a blurry photo. Or you go into manual mode with a regular raw file and you push the shutter and a tenth of a second later, this image pops out. I mean, this is even a step above what we saw from the Xiaomi, the 12S Ultra, in terms of just like capturing an image. There's a slightly faster aperture on the Vivo, but that's not making up that much of a difference. This is, this is magic camera technology to me, but this is the raw. So now we're gonna go one more. <laughs> now we're gonna do one other, we're gonna go farther because there's a super raw mode. And the super raw mode takes a stack of these raw images, squishes them together, runs a very um, aggressive noise reduction filter, 
and produces another DNG file. A DNG file is a container file that we usually associate with raw. This is not true raw. This is an edited DNG file that Vivo calls super raw. Um, uh, uh, Samsung calls theirs expert raw. Um, Apple calls theirs pro raw. They're not raw. <laughs> they are heavily edited images. They just happen to come back to you in a DNG, which is a really big file and you use that to edit. So the, the analogy would be you take a, a proper camera and you shoot one photo. You get a raw image, you can edit that. Or you can shoot a bracket. And on a regular camera, you've got to set it on a tripod and you push a shutter button and it takes like five photos. And then you take those five photos and you put them on a computer, computer squishes them together. And then you can start running some noise reduction and doing some editing. What super raw does is it handles all of that work to shoot a bracket, but you can shoot it handheld. You don't have to take the image to a computer to edit the final image. So we're looking at this, right? This is crazy bright. This is a really bright image. Well, Super Raw does this. It turns night into day. <laughs> the sky is almost late afternoon blue. The, the streets are golden lit as if sunshine <laughs> was hitting them. There is light accents off of the car door that looks like they look like sunshine reflecting off of the car door. And yet you still see that street lamp way off in the distance, <laughs> like lit up. This is silly. This is hilarious. This is absurd brightness. You look at the car frame and it's this like, uh, this like rose colored red. It's vibrantly popping up out of the back, out of the underside of the car where it's shaded. This is shaded. You can see the outline and the detail of the car shadow from the minimal amount of light that's hitting this truck and the piercing light that's, that's like cutting through with all of the detail of the street in the shadows of where this, this truck was. This is, this is hilarious. But this was also back to around a three or four second exposure. So you touch the shutter button and it scans because it's doing a whole burst of those raw files and stacking them all together. So what you could do in this super raw mode is use it to shoot a darker image, which I didn't do in the setup because I'm sitting there on my neighbor's like sidewalk. I'm literally like sitting on their, their little planter to shoot this to try and keep it consistent, which looks really weird. Like here, there's some dude in a hoodie that's taking photos of your truck. Um, I, I really need to knock on his door at some point and just say like, hey, I, I love this truck. This truck is, is such a badass. Um, but if it can do something this bright in four seconds with almost no noise left in what's happening, um, what I need to do is then also do a couple other simple tests and comparisons to uh, rein in like some of that brightness and not have to hold still for as long. But you would have a really big DNG file to edit with. There is gobs of dynamic range to edit with in this processed image. You have plenty of room to like pull shadow highlights and detail and, and like make things darker, brighten things up. Like there's a ton, <laughs> there's a ton that you can do with a, 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 a super raw photo like this, but you don't have to worry about scrubbing out noise. Like I could make this purposely darker and not have 
all of the noise in the scene from the raw file. So like there's all of this rainbow speckle and that's going on in the sky. Well, I would want to clean some of that out before I published this photo on social media. But if I shoot super raw, I don't have to do that. The camera's going to do all of that for me and then give me sort of a better starting point to abbreviate all of the editing that I would want to do. Now, the really funny one is I took a selfie, a rear camera selfie, and I just want to show, again, here's like just a standard JPEG. And I think it's sharpening up some of the like freckles on my face a little too hard. And then I took a night mode. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty good. And this is doing something a little Samsung-y in that I'm hitting, I'm hit with yellow light. You can see the street lamps. They're they're really urine-soaked yellow. It's a really gross yellow kind of light. But you know, it kind of makes me look a little jaundiced. And then I shoot the super raw. And it looks like that. <laughs> I mean, it's like blowing out highlights on my face. It's so bright. And it shoots faster than shooting the night mode photo. It is it is just ridiculous to me. <laughs> I, I I can't. It it it's crazy. That that is that is crazy. It, it is absolutely hilarious performance from a phone camera. So the Vivo was already um just a an insane low light machine. Excuse me. The Vivo X80 was already an insane low light turn night into day kind of photography solution. This is another step above. I, I I'm just I'm gobsmacked. I'm 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 just shocked. So the Xiaomi's don't do this. The Xiaomi's do not play with this level of software processing for low light photography. Um, the Vivos are handling light data in a way that I've never seen another phone attempt. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. And yes, absolutely, it is not accurate to the scene. It's not dark for a nighttime photo, but what you can do with those images if you're trying to get a good base to edit from is absolutely stunning. It is ridiculous. Um, so we're, we're really in for some fun stuff, uh, kind of comparing the performance back and forth across all of these different options and all of these different platforms and the company focus. Like if you're in bright daylight conditions and you're trying to shoot a more photographic old school camera kind of photo, I think I kind of dig the Xiaomi better. But if you're ever in a slightly more challenging condition, like dark indoor lighting for your home, what a Vivo does, no other phone can reproduce. Like you're out at a party with friends and you're at a bar, you want the Vivo. <laughs> if you're out in a park with your kid playing on a jungle gym, the Vivo is very good, but I'd probably lean to the Xiaomi. Um, those, that nuance, those, those subtle difference, oh, it's so delicious. It really is fun. I, I, I really wish I could express better in a video, like I'm rolling around in the dirt just to try and get a photo of a snail shell. And I'm on a walk with my daughter and she's like, well, why do you do that? And how does that work? And what about that leaf? Do you think that leaf is interesting? And we're taking photos together and it's just fun. And that's what a good phone camera should do.
a good phone camera should get you excited about having a little bit more fun doing stuff with your phone, not just scrubbing through social media and seeing celebrities post influencer posts to get you to buy vitamin supplements. It's like my daughter is interested in photography and I'm interested in photography and we're both learning stuff at different ends of the experience spectrum. That's what a good phone camera should do. That's where it's worth spending three times more on a phone to get that kind of camera capability. So, um, let me, let me, I, I, I was way behind on some of these comments and stuff. Yeah. Bray Gray one is so juiced. I am super juiced. I am, I am like a fitness club juiced on this kind of stuff. Um, bionic scoop dude. When you get your hands on one of these, man, you're legit gonna enjoy Oh, he literally says in the next comment, when I can get my hands on one of these big sensors. <laughs> I've got a lot of coverage that I need to finish, but man, we got to chat because I think you would very much appreciate what a wide angle lens with this shallow of a depth of field and this kind of optical performance can achieve. I think you would very much dig it. I got a really, so Aditi Anil's got a joke in there about like iPhones and like portrait modes and stuff, but I got a really uh, snarky comment. I, I shot a photo of a pine cone. I'm not sharing this photo because I think it's any kind of magical, super great nature composition. It's just literally to show the depth of field. So it's a pine cone fit in the palm of my hand. You know, the little nub where it was attached to the tree is like half the width of my pinky nail, right? That is the plane of focus. That is how shallow the depth of field is on this one inch sensor when you get to your minimum focusing distance. Look at your pinky nail and think that's as much as what will be in focus. The difference between like the bridge of your nose to your eyeball. If you focus on someone's eye, their nose will already be falling out of focus. And this is optically. And again, it's not at portrait distances. It's not at medium length distances. We're talking about using this camera system at its closest focusing uh, distance. So purposely putting your subject as close to the lens as the camera will, res will resolve an image. So I, f I share this photo on, on Instagram and it's one of the first comments I get back is, oh, but the uh, cutting for the blur effect isn't very good. I'm not impressed. <laughs> And you're like, not a software mode. And, and Aditi Anil um, on my Discord, he nailed it. Like, I was getting ready just to be kind of snarky, but Aditi totally called the psychology on it. This is a person who is used to seeing iPhone portrait modes. When they see a blurry background, they've only ever seen fake software blur, and the subject is perfectly cut out. And all in focus because iPhone camera sensors, with the exception of the iPhone 14 Pro and the iPhone 13 Pro, are tiny. So more of the subject stays in focus. The software portrait modes on these mega sensor phones, not very good because the image cutting software has a harder time finding the borders of your face if parts of your face are already starting to fall out of focus. The portrait mode on a Pixel 6a is demonstrably better because more of the subject is in focus from a medium distance. It's optical physics. But this person 
isn't used to seeing actual focus fall off from a phone camera. So they're not impressed with this software because it didn't cut out the whole pine cone. Parts of the pine cone are blurry. Well, gee willikers, what are we supposed to do with that? Parts of this pine cone weren't even cut out properly by this software that wasn't a portrait mode. Boy, howdy, guys, come on. <laughs> so I was, I was getting real pissy about it, but Aditya was like, oh my God, this person really just doesn't know what he's looking at, but he thinks he's an expert on software portrait modes because that's all he's seen. Hilarious. Uh, like, I got a couple comments too, like, oh my God, that's optical performance. That's what the lens is doing. And then I felt way better about the future of humanity. <laughs> Adityanil on the first photo of the truck. It's so dark, one might think it's from the former DCEU. It was pretty dark. Or it's a horror film on Netflix, which you can't see on a fancy HDR TV because it's shot so dark, you just see your reflection in the HDR TV. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, DTNO, that was a four-second handheld. Either you've got surgeon-like hand steadiness or the Vivo is doing some next-level correction for the shakiness. The, the, the low-light modes. So all of the night modes on all of our phones have gotten ridiculously good. You have to hold steady. And it's almost, if you'll pardon, I used to be a shooting sports instructor for the Boy Scouts. So some of my metaphors come from firearm use, and I'm not trying to, like, wedge in my experience and my affection for skilled sports shooting. Um, so sorry, that, that was a liberal bleeding heart, liberal guilt thing there. Cause we don't own any guns now, but so much of my experience from holding steady comes from how we would teach boy scouts how to shoot rifles. You ease into a trigger pull, you exhale, you, you try to relax into how you're holding the firearm, but anticipate how the firearm might kick Obviously, cameras don't kick, but I learned, you know, to exhale and, and ease into a shutter on a DSLR in a very similar kind of functional mechanic to operating a firearm. Um, I do not have surgeon steady hands. I am a really shaky and twitchy individual. I am often over-caffeinated and can't sit still and constantly fidgeting. I have this Minicon transformer on my desk because this is my fidget spinner twisting his arms around and you can hear it in some of my videos when I'm like transforming and transforming and transforming. Um, so many of our premium tier phones can anticipate you easing into your stance and hitting the shutter button and letting four to 10 seconds of image scanning happen. But what Vivo is able to do in like three or four seconds of a scan is shocking. And it was shocking back on the X70 it was shocking on the X80, and now it's mind-blowing on the X90. Got a couple more comments. Brian Billings, how is the telephoto? So the telephoto is good. We are into an interesting in-between spot. The telephoto on the... I just set it down. Where did I set it down? Where's, where's the phone that I was just talking about? Ah, here we go. Too many black rectangles on my desk. So the telephoto on this is only a two-time zoom, but it is a slightly larger sensor. And this is something that I think Vivo has historically done very well, but they've also 
they usually add an extra zoom on top of that. So like the X80 Pro um, is really a four sensor phone and it's got a, a, a really long, tiny, tiny little sensor for super reach. But then again, a slightly larger 50 millimeter equivalent lens. And that's the, the longest reach that you get on this. It does a great job pixel cropping out to around like 10 times or 20 times zoom. Pixel cropping from the medium telephoto looks pretty good. I mean, it really is um, decent photo quality for crop zooming that far, but this is not a super zoom camera. Uh, this is not a super zoom sensor. So like what a, what a Galaxy Note can do with moon zoom and taking a reasonably good AI processed and adjusted image of the moon, a Samsung is easily going to outpace the X90 Pro. But in that medium territory... This is a much larger sensor than the medium zoom sensor on a Galaxy. So again, we've got to pick and choose. We've got to make some different choices. Do we want more reach? Well, then you've got to dedicate a lot more space and a much bigger periscope like we do on a Pixel 7. So this whole camera bar has this uh, periscoping camera that's offset so that you can get more zoom out of a bigger telephoto sensor. Um, that the X90 isn't doing that. The X90 Pro is keeping a more a, a more limited zoom range, but it's a more practical zoom range when you want to do things like take nice photos of people and taking nicer photos of people indoors and in dimmer lighting conditions. I want to say the Galaxy S the Galaxy Ultra zoom sensors are 1 over 3.5 Someone correct me on that if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure the telephoto sensor on the S, the base model, the S23 and the S23 Plus, that telephoto is a quarter inch sensor, one over 3.9. That is tiny. That is a super little sensor. And it does not do great in dimmer, darker conditions. This is, a, I think it's a one over... 2.7. So it's not a half inch. I really wish we could have gotten a, a good half inch sensor, but it is a pixel binning, I think one over 2.7 or one over 2.6, somewhere in there. And that is substantially larger than the telephotos that you'll find on a Galaxy. So outdoors, not impressive telephoto reach. Really not, you know, going to light anyone on, uh, light, it, light anyone up for zoom, for how far you can zoom. But then you get indoors and like, oh, my daughter's done this cute little thing over at the table and I don't want to bug her. I don't want to distract her. Let me just snap a little photo 50 millimeters across the table, kind of get closer up on, and in dark indoor lighting, it looks stunning. And again, with that low light processing that Vivo can really lift data out of the shadows, that is where you score a real tangible win with the X90 Pro. Yeah, Barry, absolutely, man. I think it shouldn't be understated. You have a solid base to edit from. It's outstanding. Because Barry's playing with the import. He's playing with the X90 Pro Plus. So he's all Mr. Fancy Pants. <laughs> yeah, Jermaine, I mean, it's it's not even well. It does really well. Uh, it, did, it did well at that four-second exposure. So when I've taken pixel photos in that same spot, the pixel scans for around seven seconds to get an image that's significantly darker 
than what the Vivo could do at four seconds. And I showed this on the X80 Pro. I've got camera samples and stuff like that. The X80 Pro just mercs every other phone that's currently in North America for that low light performance. And the X90 Pro mercs the X80 Pro. So every single time you see that, and I say like, yeah, that took like four seconds of holding still on a Pixel, that would have been a five to second second, a five to seven second exposure. So if you if you think about holding still for four seconds, you have to hold still almost twice as long to get a darker image. And, and not just, oh, well, it's darker. No, it, it's like, there's not as much detail. Th there's not as much color information in that low light photo. There's more um, uh, noise reduction filtering, blurring that data. Everything is not as good. And, and the Pixel is great at low light photography. The Pixel is already a high standard for low light photography. And Vivo is just in another stratosphere <laughs> of low light photography. So again, every time I'm like, I'm, I, I really want us to like conceptualize what those differences mean twice as fast for when you say twice as fast, like you have a proper camera and you shoot a one second exposure and then you shoot a two second exposure. The two second exposure should be twice as bright as the one second exposure. But on a Vivo, you shoot about half as long for an image that's three times brighter. <laughs> that's the kind of AI magic that is happening with that kind of image processing. And so then if I want to shoot an image from the Vivo, if I want to shoot an image from a Vivo that looks more like a pixel, I cut the Vivo time in half. So it, if I shoot a pixel style night mode from a Vivo, it's going to be done in about two seconds. And it's still going to have better image processing, better, da uh, better data, better detail, but it'll be similarly exposed to the seven second photo from my Pixel 7 Pro. That's the kind of capability add that you get. When you don't need that much light and you dial it back, it's even faster. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. It's so great. It's, it's amazing. Simon says, no, phones are pretty amazing. They're pretty awesome at the moment. Uh, little to whine about these days. I mean, we're deep into the nitty gritty. It's like little, little things like, oh, I kind of wish it did this or, oh, I wish it had this sensor instead of that sensor. Or, you know, the screen resolution is a little funky, but it's still a really great screen. I, like it's, it's a, it's a thousand dollar phone. So I don't want to minimize like, oh, it's just amazing and you can spend money and it's really expensive. And that's why I like it for a thousand dollars. It is ridiculous capability compared to like $2,000 of micro four thirds camera that I'm shooting this live stream from. It is an incredible competitor against thousand dollar iPhones that cannot reproduce this kind of image with the same kind of ease. It is a remarkable competitor against a phone like a Galaxy Ultra and it's less expensive than a Galaxy Ultra. It's priced in most markets, it's priced a little bit closer to like a storage bumped S23 Plus. And that's a brutal fight. I mean, that is an insane fight. The, the X90, 
which I just set down again and now I've lost it. I've lost it in the sea of phones. Oh, here it is. The X90 is going to have that one inch sensor. The Galaxy is going to have a longer telephoto, but the X90 has a better telephoto sensor. Um, the X90 has, uh, I think, roughly the same battery capacity, but with 120 watt charging and a charger in a case in the box. The X90 has the IR blaster. Um, the X90 has a higher resolution display. It's not 1440p, it's 1260, but it is a higher resolution display than a Galaxy S23 Plus. I mean, it's just like point for point for point for point. They're pretty close. And the X90 is better except for decks. And I, I feel pretty confident saying that Samsung will likely offer longer software support than Vivo will. But if you're using your phone hardcore in that two to three year window, I think the two to three year experience of owning a Galaxy S23 is not going to be as fun as owning an X90 Pro for those mobile photography enthusiasts out there. So it's, I, I, I'm having a lot of fun and it's nice. And I, I feel like in the next couple days, um, there's going to be another phone that we're going to be able to add to that conversation where a price to performance that is so much more fun than where we're at with Apple and Samsung. <laughs> I, I can't say anything about, I can, I can hold up and show you the back of the phone. That's what the phone looks like. Um, but I can't really give you any other details or experiences or opinions on the device, but stay tuned because we'll have more to say very soon. <laughs> on that phone it's so great let me take one more sip of water and then we're, we're going to close this out we're, thank you because we've we've definitely run long on this one ah barry is mr fancy pants so uh let me get this out of the way here tech by germaine the mobile photography is so good with vivo is because you can play with it so much and it is so much fun to play with but again a pixel 7 pro so much fun to play with an s23 ultra is going to be so much fun to play with a Xiaomi Pro or Ultra is going to be so much fun to play with. But I still want to stress, I don't think I would recommend any of these phones to someone whose needs genuinely were more casual point and shoot. I think more casual point and shoot, you're talking A-series Samsung, Pixel 6a, Pocos, Redmi, somewhere. Now the tier is three to $400 and you have an excellent point and shoot experience. A nothing phone. It's got a good camera. It's got a very good camera. Those, those cameras are already overkill. This Pixel 6a that I have on my desk, full MSRP, $450, regularly on sale for $299 or free on carrier contracts. You pull phone out of pocket and you touch shutter button and you put phone back in your pocket and it really doesn't get better than this at $300. That's it. You're done. That's it conversation is finished. It's great. This is great. But when you want to do a bit more or when you want to push the limits a little bit further, there are very good reasons to start spending into $600. And then from there, there are some really fun reasons to start spending into $900. And then you get to the ultras and man, an ultra tier at around 1100 has a camera that that just blows me away. 
and it's so it's so much fun. All right, let's go ahead and close this out here. Get that out of the way. Okay, um, folks, I want you to all have a fantastic week. I I I feel again. This is uh, my my last little plea. Greatly appreciate those of you who are out there helping content creators, those of you who are in this chat who will occasionally drop by the subreddit and click a couple up arrows just to help some people out. This week, I'm going to ask for something very specific. And in someone who lives in a part of the world where this stuff scares me, and I've lived in other parts of the country where other natural disasters and other events scared me too, I I still have panic dreams about my first uh, tornado drill going to school in Ohio. Um, It's funny. It wasn't that long ago. I want to say it was last week. I had another one of us just heads down in a bathroom hallway under the gymnasium of a a school that I went to in Ohio. And the teacher is like freaking us out about how scary tornadoes were. Um, Like that kind of stuff lives with you even when you don't experience firsthand how, how tragic a bad earthquake a tornado, a fire can be. So the, the the plea once more, if you have the means, please consider charities and organizations to help get aid to Turkey and to Syria. And if you don't have the means to contribute financially, please use your voice, use your social media, use whatever resources you might have to pass along some links to help contribute and to share. When I finally finish up this podcast and I publish it on somegadgetguide.com, I'll throw just a little link at, at the top of the uh, at the top of the page just for Red Cross and then any other organizations that people are sharing. Drop me comments, send me links, hit me up on social media. Um, anything we can do to kind of help spread the word where a little bit of help can go a really long way to people that definitely need our attention right now. On that note, um, I hope you all have a fantastic week. This is going to be a really busy week for tech tomorrow. Uh, not, I don't know when <laughs> there's going to be an onslaught of YouTube videos. And I hope you'll find some of those content creators that do really good, consistent work. Um, I, I, I would be honored if you add me to that list, but we know a number of our friends are going to be putting out their takes on new gadgets And they probably won't get as much attention from the algorithm unless we're out there supporting them. So be ready. I get really cynical about the onslaught of YouTube content. I'm going to be a part of it for this next major launch that I can't talk anything else about. So be on the lookout for that. But I think there's going to be some fun stuff in there from a number of our tech pals uh, in this industry. I hope you have a fantastic week. I hope you uh, have an awesome week with your technology. I want you to do awesome and be awesome with your tech. And as always, I I hope that you're able to take care of yourself so that you can also take care of others. I'll catch you back here next week. Um, There's going to be a lot of chatter for best of our week. So the podcast TK and I do should also be a really fun one to catch this Thursday, as well as the other content creators like Gadget Goddess, Barry Johnson, Easy Computer Solutions, uh, El Jefe Reviews, um, LaShawn, uh, Holla at Your Boy, uh, I Talks Tech, uh, Tech for Your Needs. I'm missing other channels in there. There's going to be some rad stuff to talk about. So, folks, I'll catch you back here next Monday for another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show on the SGGQA podcast channel. Be safe. 
Take care. I'll catch you back. I love y'all. Recording voiceover, spoken word, is truly one of my favorite activities. My second favorite hobby is photography. Now, the smartphone might be making us deaf, but we can't deny the awesome power of the phone as a platform for photography and multimedia creation. If you've been looking to improve your mobile photog skills, if you want to produce more professional content, or you're just looking to take your family photos to the next level, I wrote a book to help you out with that. Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs is available on Amazon Kindle. Walking through the basic terminology of photography, covering the settings on your camera, discussing composition and inspiration, and I even include a long list of exercises and challenges to really hone your skills, all with some helpful example photos and diagrams. Search for Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs on Amazon, or use the quick link bit.ly slash betterphotosbook to grab your copy today.